check, check. Okay, we're rolling, guys. Here we go. Settle in, would you? Just kick back. Give me a little time. Give me your ear. And and every, anything else you want to lend. Okay? Is, these intros are always hard. I... I And I'll tell you why, because I sit here and I have to imagine talking to someone and I feel like I have to be entertaining enough so you tune in and listen. But the reality is I'm just sitting here in a chair fucking talking to myself. And I have to ask myself, would I keep listening? And most of the time I just, I don't think, I don't know that I would. But if you're with me now, we have made it this far. And I thank you so much. Because this project is, uh, there's a lot of love behind it. I hope you guys feel that. And I just want to keep doing it till, it till it becomes something. You know, I feel like it is. The stuff that we leave behind is real important. And, and these videos and these interviews for the time, I feel a great responsibility to... I mean, to record it. And I think about, we, we talk about this in this in this episode or, or interview, you know, guys like Tom Fugel who took the time and the energy to do that in their prime at the height of a movement, man, that was so special. And coincidentally, <laughs> it's funny because I've, I've been working in, in feature world a little bit on a movie with, with, Actually, sorry, the movie I've been doing with Scott Tover is a short. You know, it's narrative, but uh, I guess I have been working in Feature World. You know the Bike Rider movie that's coming out? I just went in and did a a day down there on that movie. A uh, real fun scene, um, quick in and out, but it was awesome. I got to see the whole cast and meet everybody, and uh, I didn't get to meet Danny Lyon, but, you know, to sum it up, that book was so important to me and it really shaped a lot of my art and just the direction I wanted to go with my life and to see it get turned into a feature film is incredibly special and be a part of that. But Jeff Nichols is directing it and he is one of my favorite directors. And if I could have handpicked a director to do that movie, it would have been him. And I have fucking nothing to do with picking any of that but it would be a fantasy to see him do that movie and it's coming true and I I actually got to go work on that and see him work and work through this scene it was a night scene and it was just beautiful to see him kind of figure it out and sort it out we're shooting on Panavision you know to, to see those cameras run and the camera department was so cool they got they gave me a little you know, they opened up the camera and showed me everything about it. It was just, it was awesome. It was such a special experience. And I actually got to corner Jeff and I, I asked him, you know, we're sitting in this little room between scenes and it's, it's Tom Hardy and, and him and, and we're talking and I go, Jeff, what, what was your interest in the bike riders, man? Like what, what was your thing with that book? And his honest, uh, his answer was so honest and humble. And and we're getting we're circle bear with me here because we're getting back to it. But he said that he's been a part of some special movements in his lifetime that he saw get blown out, and 
to him, it was the punk rock scene in Little Rock, Arkansas in the 90s. That was something that got, you know, just kind of, you know, played out. And he's seeing that from a distance. I don't know how involved in bike culture he really is, but I'll be I'll tell you, I'll be damned if he's not one of the most emotionally intelligent people and just culturally with it that I've ever met in the short time that I got to talk with him. I'm like, man, you really fucking understand a lot from a distance. And so that was just incredibly special. But I'm these stories we record now, who knows what they'll be in 40 years and 60 years and 100 years but taking the time to do it right now is important because things are changing so fast and I don't know maybe we'll be the last people who get to use these machines recreationally because I I got no problem with electric vehicles I'm actually really excited about it but I am concerned about what's going to happen to these old turds and what's going to happen to these machines that fix the machines that we ride and the knowledge behind that, I, I don't know. You know, so we're. I just consider myself lucky to get to ride one every day when I want to. It's a big deal. So I'm trying to make as much as I can with my time about that. You know, these little these little episodes that I do, these little interviews that I do, books that I try and make, the images that I try and make. Just just put it out there while it's here. You know, it can mean a lot to people in the future. You never know what it'll, who it'll reach. And speaking of that, never knowing who it'll reach. This interview is with Josh Kirpius, who I have been waiting for years to talk to. And he reached me a long time ago through the imagery that he was creating. And we're both photographers, we're both bike guys, but in different sides of the country, Never had the overlap, never had the introduction, knew a lot of the same people, turns out, or some of them. At that time, it was still very small, and um, it was it was cool to come across somebody on one of these bikes, anywhere, didn't matter where, and the bond was immediate, the bond was instant, and there's a lot of, you know, there was a time when it was like that with with a lot of different things, so you, could, you could make that, you know, comparison to a lot of things but it was really special with the bikes and when I was locked in a photo studio for days at a time I was looking at Kimasabi in the lodge which was his old blog and the posts that he was making and seeing where those guys on the other side of the country were riding their bikes and the bikes that they were building and it really influenced me man there were a few of those websites that really really um, spoke to me at the time and Josh's was one of them we we get to talk about that which was fun to connect those dots from so far away now uh, years and years later yeah he was out here on a on a shoot he, you know he was on the technically he was on vacation if you can call it that but he was in between two legs of this massive Harley campaign that he was shooting and if you don't know he is he is the staff photographer for Harley Davidson so most of the imagery you see from him, you know, he's leaving it behind. Uh, he's done such a good job of documenting just decades of his travels with these guys. He is a photographer, definitely the photographer, but he is a traveler above all. I mean, I think I think the wheels come in front of the camera no matter what with Josh. 
and and the friendships and the loyalty and the camera is a consequence of that and uh he's just done a real good job of juggling all of that and i had a blast with him out here josh i think you ought to move out here now i'm talking to you buddy directly i i can i can imagine you in milwaukee listening to this thing be like fuck i gotta listen to my own voice now but we did have a good time didn't we did we not you had a damn good time in the sun and i i think uh i think you ought to get back out here you know maybe we'll talk more about that you know but the sun is shining my friend the sun is shining yeah i think we we'll probably just get to it uh, honestly um before we before we do i got to tell you how this show works you may know the drill by now you may not you may just be tuning in for the first time, and I'm happy to have you. But I, I financed this little experiment with a store on my website. All of the goods on my store go to finance this show, so you don't have to listen to me advertising dental floss or whatever the fuck it is. Everything on that website, I'm extremely proud of, and have collaborated with American-made brands to make something very special for you, the audience, and. St- these are things that I wear every day and will for the rest of my fucking life. And these are the goods that we, I want to leave behind. And if that label is on it, that means it's very special because that brand believed in this project enough to go out on the limb and make something with me and bring it to the market made here in the USA. And uh, that means a lot. It just having somebody back you up means a lot. So Tellison, you know, Pete and Tony over there, Chris at Wesco Boots, um, Nash at Nash Motorcycle, and everybody over at American Optical. I I just can't thank you enough. I and and guys, you know, if there is one item recently that I have slipped on, go buy the glasses. Cause when they're gone, they're gone. Same <laughs> First of all, these glasses are very special. They are the frames that JFK wore all throughout his presidency. I'm a huge JFK fan. And he was a stylish motherfucker. But those glasses are the frames that he made so iconic. And they are made in Chicago. He was a huge fan of American Optical. He went and toured the factory. And he had them make all the eyewear for his family. Which I think is really special. So you can look more up about that on my website. The other thing I got to tell you is um, my books are going kind of quickly. Uh, and when this run is done, I, I don't know that they'll do another one. So if you, if you have one, hang on to it. But get one for Christmas. You know, those are the glasses, the, you know, the denim, the jackets, whatever. Whatever you want, we got. And we're making more. I'm actually working on a shirt with Ship John and uh, a couple other items with some other buddies of mine. So I'm real excited. Got some stuff coming down the pipes. But enough about that, besides the thank you for the support, everyone. And uh, let's get to the show with Josh Kerpius. And one more thank you to my brother Rocco DeLuca, who does all the music for the videos and this podcast. Okay? And that's pretty much everything. Let's get to it Josh Kirpius everyone buckle up check 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 <clears throat> Josh let's do this man we got some good some good topics 
You can leave your pants off if you want to. <laughs> uh, it's all about comfort. It's all about being comfortable for these things. Check, check. This is listening to your your podcast here now. Now, I'm now you're catching the gist of this microphone system. Yeah, you like that? Yeah, it's really high tech. <laughs> and when you when you do talk, it's like directional. So yeah, yeah, you know the. Drill. I've learned. Yeah, but it's still you know it works. I have to keep an eye on the levels though. Yeah, that I was just on the old chopper swapper looking at. I mean, if I get through this iron head little racer. I've got a straight leg frame that I want to do with a 64 motor that I've been holding on to for a long time. Is it um, true pan heads or yeah. heads? Yeah, it's, it's well, there's pan heads on there now, what what came with it, but um, I think I'll probably do a pan shovel, honestly. Yeah. I really don't. I don't, me and pan heads don't get along. <laughs> Talk to any of the guys I've ridden long miles with. I'm like, fuck those pan heads, man. Dude, I, if I did it, I would definitely cut the exhaust ports on and put off and put shovel head exhaust ports on. Yeah. But you can buy that off of V-Twin. Yeah. With the valves perfectly done, everything for less than what it costs to get a machinist to do that. Well, I remember the last time I was here, we rolled over to Snakes and he was he was switching out everything over to those. That's those right. Yep. That's what I told him to do. <clears throat> and uh, I've been so happy with mine. I couldn't, I just... I don't have a complaint in the world other than they still run, you know, the OEM rocker blocks are just loud. Those rockers are just loud. Yeah. So once you get used to that, you're fine. But the, the, that is another problem with panheads. They're just, they mind fuck you. Because yeah. They have a, they have a sound to him, which, you know, it, when I see a, a full on stock panhead and it comes, it comes up, comes riding up and you just hear that. Yeah, like man, that's so cool. But then when you're on a chopper, it's all you just build it solid, and and you just you're hearing those things. But also riding next to him, it's like it never fails. Those those exhaust ports broke break every and time. Then you're dealing with trying to like find some dude that has a welder in the middle of nowhere, and you're taking your head off. And well, that was the whole thing. Uh, Gentry had his he was having all kinds of problems, but anyway his uh, exhaust port broke and made it to Tom's Fugles and he uh his frame broke too didn't it yeah oh everything it's everything everything but Tom's fix was like wow just turn it into like a knuckle knucklehead you just know, shove, shove it up it there. there and then he brazed he brazed he brazed around the outs uh how do you do that yeah he, he just brazed another longer um smaller diameter piece so he could just 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 shove it it inside that's actually a pretty good way to do it yeah just on the fly because we did it you know that night yeah of course tom was up till like yeah well he didn't sleep but you know it was like 4 a.m and he's just going at it how old was he then i mean that was a couple years before he died just two well it was 2013 that's when we did that ride oh yeah yeah because when he came to when the movie was done, which was a couple of years later. Were you there when he came to LA for everything? He mm-hmm. was there for like screening stuff. Yeah. So he stayed at he stayed at the Chun. Yeah. Him and his buddy, um, I forget his name. But dude, they were they were up later than all of us. <laughs> I, I I couldn't believe it. 
just telling stories and, and yeah. But the the childlike enthusiasm for choppers at that age, like he still had it. He was just so excited. He was so excited that we were stopping through on our choppers, riding from San Francisco to Brooklyn. He was just, you know, anything we needed or wanted, and he was just so excited to have us come through there like that. His arc in life was nuts because he did so much, not only just the mastery of building the bikes, which his bikes were outrageous, especially for the time in the Midwest. But then he took the time to shoot photos and to shoot video. And when you look at that stuff, dude, he's riding and shooting with an eight millimeter camera, sometimes 16 millimeter. I mean, that's some badass shit. And as far as I know, he was the only one in the club back then that was like taking the time to do that. Yeah. And also just going into his place and seeing, I mean, you walk in, you're like, whoa, this is your head spins. Cause there's just, it's what, it was 70 years of just collecting things. How long were they in that building? Did he say he, he had been, well, his personal shop, he had been in, I mean, I don't know exactly when, but he's been in there forever. So did you see both his personal shop and, and the clubhouse? And the clubhouse? Yeah. Okay. And the clubhouse had changed over the years. Um, but his shop, which was his leather shop, he lived uh, above it. But then he had his fabrication, leather. He And it was like three levels. He had a basement. Um, that's that's where he had his, his fab shop. And um, uh, if I remember correctly... Anyway, he blew a he blew a hole out the back of the shop. Is that shop. a true story? Yeah, just to get a bike out. That's amazing. <laughs> but you go in there, and he's got all this stuff that he's collected for years, and it could just be like glass bottles or glass, different colors of glass. Um, then he has this whole filing system, and it's like old girl or yeah, old girlfriends, sixties, uh, <laughs> old girlfriends, seventies, <laughs> oh and then they're all the photos, and they're all organized, and and he's got little stories, and it was so fun to go in there and slide out some of those drawers, and then it would slip his mind right back into that that time period, and he'd tell you a story. What a boss! And that that was what was really cool about going to that clubhouse because. Um, you know, getting into choppers, it was funny to go through Sioux city because when I built my bike, I, I didn't necessarily know who was who. And I just like, I just want to build a 70 style chopper, but I came from, from sculpture and art and jewelry. And I just kind of switched that over into the metalwork on my bike. I wanted to make these intricate details. And, uh, when I rolled through, I remember, um, riding through town we got to a bar jerry was just like looking at my bike sorry i'm just oh, no, get, just rolled off your cot yeah, yeah. I'm like still like <laughs> trying to get the phlegm out of my face that's the dust too there's a lot of dust <clears throat> in the desert yeah and then it doesn't help that i had gotten sick on a shoot last week so yeah you've been burning the candle button. <laughs> <laughs> uh anyway he he was just just looking at it and he's like this is a this is a very Tom Fugel inspired bike, but back then, and you had no idea. I I didn't know who I didn't necessarily know who Tom Fugel was, but I knew all those David Mann paintings, yeah. and so that that was kind of the inspiration those David Mann paintings. 
back then. And you know, what you didn't have, there was a few guys doing blogs and, um, you'd see those old photos pop up that somebody would, uh, find and post, but it wasn't, it wasn't like now where it's just like never ending source of, of whatever you want to look at. Endless scroll. Yeah. Yeah, It was so special to find those those photos and and specifically even more so video i feel like and uh i'm trying to remember the blogs you know um you you had a blog for a long time yeah yeah. kimosabi in the lodge Lodge. i used to so when i was running the studio in seattle i mean those were what those were my little window into the outside world. I was in a dark box, like 10 to 12 hours a day. And I was following along with these guys in other places, seeing what they were doing. And, uh, you know, Chico Moto, um, Michael's blog, white nights in the house of color for the, for the yeah, East coast Brooklyn. guys. Dude, I miss the blog days. Those were so inspiring because there were so few people that were really into that style of bike. So, and that's that was the magic of the first born free it was literally out of base it kind of formed out of the blog culture because each each kind of it's, you had the minnesota guys up there which was zach heavy you mm-hmm. know that was kind of the, those dudes and paul green was up there at that time that's he, right he was kind of the the guy that was like the little mastermind that was like guiding them to build these really cool choppers and and all of a sudden you know we we had no clue they existed up. We went up to the 50th anniversary, SNS anniversary, and ran into these dudes on choppers. It's kind of like the story that Tom would tell, like going down to Kansas City and meeting David Mann. And it's like they didn't, they didn't even know other people were into that kind of thing. Because it just, especially then, like yeah, there was no internet. There was like, there's no window into what other people are doing. And that's how you would meet people. You'd show up somewhere and like, oh fuck, you're on one of the fuck chopper, you know? Like, I, I remember the first. I remember meeting Will. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, call him Chicago Will, or that's what we called him back then, Will Thomas. Yeah, you know, um, you know, black dude backing up a panhead to the curb in Chicago and I'd never seen a chopper like that. But that was what I was into. What year was that, do you think? Oh, it was like 2000, I want to say five or six. Early, early, early. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he had this short little um, orange panhead. And uh, and I was building my bike at the time, or I had the pieces of it and was dreaming about building it. Um, didn't necessarily have the tools at the time, I don't think, but like... Um, but I was just, I just, I think was getting out of college and, um, had a camera. Motorcycles were never my, my focus. It was always going to be in the studio, building these big sets and creating, creating something. And, um, anyway, I'm not the type of person to even like approach somebody that I don't know. I just, I just don't have that. I'm just not that person, but man, he was backing that pan head up to the curve and I was like, I was going to see a show and uh and i just forgot about going to the show and he he's i was like hey man i like your bike he's like yeah man whatever and then we start talking he's like well i'm going down into this basement here uh i got some some friends that work on some bikes and uh, back then it was a fierce city and they were really into triumphs and british bikes but go down in there and it's like they've been down there for years and it was like on the six corners wicker park 
uh, which now is blown out. You can't you can't really touch anything over there. But they had been there for years when it was like hookers and <laughs> and, <laughs> and drugs and and that's where they were posted up. Um, so from that point, like he introduced me to Brian Harlow, who was best friend from that point out, and that's who I did the blog with. Who did you know before then? Or was it, or was that Nobody. like your, that was your first introduction, and, like yeah. running into those? Holy shit. Will, Will was my <clears throat> first, which is crazy to think because he's been out here for. That's wild that that was your first crew to get dive into because those, those guys were heavy hitters back then. Yeah. Well, in, in no, my I mean, I think we were all coming up because Will had just gotten that pan head together. Uh, Brian then, I think he had just bought like a. He had bought a brand new Sportster and like the next day just started cutting, cutting it, it out. Cutting it up. <laughs> like, dude, you could have bought some used whatever, you know, used Sportster for nothing and done what you like. He literally cut the frame and made it, he, he hardtailed it. Dude, when you know, you know. <laughs> so, you know, it was that whole learning curve. And, and actually, you know, there, it was before the blogs even. So, like, we weren't even attuned to that period correct kind of feel where it was like you've you're kind of stepping back into a different era it was just like oh, i'm building a chopper with what i have available whether it's new or old but then then we started to it was those david mann paintings yeah that's what you go back to um but going back to what i was talking about going into the clubhouse um the thing that still just like will f- forever be locked in my brain is sitting at the table and there's a tape i'd assume i from what i remember it was like you know nine foot long by three foot wide long table and um photos and and uh lacquered over you know so cool in the very center of that table black and white the earliest photos that tom had and they they spiraled out and so you know six early 60s on out to where they turn the color and those color ones are f- like so yellow and faded you can hardly make them out at this point and they roll the whole tables is is covered in those photos and uh so you're sitting there is that and you're you tom tom sitting across from us from the table uh ryan and gentry and troy there and michael um and moose and moose is the he's got that cowboy uh trot to his his stories you know and you're looking at these photos and you already know you you've like seen these photos before like how this is the first time i've ever been here and then you start looking at him you're like oh this is this is what inspired that david mann painting this photo right here and then you know there's the photos from the caves or i've been to those caves they're in kansas city through the old salt mines in Kansas City. Yes, yes. It's New Year's Eve party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That and then the story. So like you would, you would like basically point at a photo and be like, you'd just ask one simple little question, and it was like two hours later you had like the whole lead up and the whole like you heard and they're like Dick Allen, you know, because oh Dick Allen God. would roll through on his way back to Rockford, which uh-huh. is where I'm from, and funny enough, like my best friend. Rockford was Dick Allen's grandson. No like, way. We just run into each other because we were looking like he was dating a girl, and this girl we were in a bar, and and maybe I was talking to his girlfriend, and he walked in. I'm like, oh great, here we go. And did you we, know? Did he? Was he aware of his 
grandfather's influence? Absolutely. Okay. He, right. He's probably the only one in his family that, and he's like almost a spitting image of of Dick, Dick Allen. Like he's. Yeah. I mean, there was a minute, and this was when we were both running hard, and I mean, it was like, yeah, go it, on. This. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I remember sleeping on his couch. Like he he had. He has Dick Allen's sleeping bag, his grandfather's sleeping bag that you see, like, you know, that big-ass fucking sleeping bag that's, like... It's like a bedroll. Yeah, it's, like, you know, it's so huge, and it's, like, halfway hanging off the bike in all those photos. Yeah. Like, he has that, and I'd we'd get so hammered, I'd pass out at his place, and I'd sleep in that sleeping bag. That's crazy. Yeah, I can't even imagine the shit that's going on in that <laughs> but, um, But, yeah, so Dick would roll through from from the bay or california and he'd stop in sioux city and hang out hang out with those guys and then continue on to rockford see i wonder if he was because somebody there had to be a connection to the west coast dudes um well because the scenes were so isolated but these guys were building like wild tiny tiny was that was that was tiny yeah oh okay uh Tiny and Tom had like a bicycle club growing up. Like they they had their little bicycle club that they would uh tear up the town and then I think Tiny went he went he got drafted or something or went into the military but he he uh ended up man I probably shouldn't speak to this because I'm well, as best I might as be you wrong. remember. Yeah, like something maybe he had flat feet or something, but he ended up in California because of it. Yeah, and when he got to California, he saw these choppers, and so he came back to Sioux City on this strip down on his chopper, like right. tall bars. Like Tom saw it and was like, it blew his mind. So that's how that all started. Yeah, and Tom had like a '52 Panhead stock Panhead or something, and. Um, and he ended up wrecking it really bad. And then, all right, time to, time to make a chopper, you know, uh, or maybe he just, he just started tearing into it before he even, I, I know there was an accident involved in there. Some, cause there, I think there's a photo of like a white panhead that was his first bike and he ended up and the whole front ends all smashed in. So when tiny came back, he had the reference and that's what started everything. Yeah. And, and t- also I think, he he was rolling with the Satan slaves, and and back then it was kind of a deal where hey here's the one here's the one percent patch you go, and start a new thing over here. Oh cool! And that was kind of the El Forstero, the beginnings of that. And maybe maybe it's not good for me to speak about all that. I mean I'm not, I've never been one to uh, attach to any club, but just being around Tom. Tom was that was kind of the one club that was like, they were just, we're a chopper club man. we love choppers. We're still a fucking club, but like, um, you know, and they, they told stories about different clubs coming through clubs that, you know, probably they didn't jive with or, or their friends didn't jive with, but one got in an accident was all hung up in a ditch and they, they took him in, brought him in the clubhouse, patched him up, fixed his bike for him sent them down the road that's kind of how that's how they were you know that's beautiful well no one did it as to the extent that, that i'm aware of that tom did like as an art he was just so dedicated man and it we was were, all about the art we yeah. were talking about tunnel vision last night i mean that guy 
when you think about even at his age, that last panhead he built for Born Free was just insane. <laughs> and, and wouldn't sleep, just be up for nights and days. And um, I, I really don't know how, how he did it. It's just, Go, going back to this tunnel vision conversation, I didn't even know what we were going to even start to talk about because we've, we've already, I never do. We, we've already <laughs> talked for six hours straight. Yeah, I got I here know, last night and I'm like, maybe I should just leave because like, <laughs> you know, like, let's do this podcast in the morning. Well, it's hard when you don't see your friends for like four years and then and then you got to, well, this, we got to do this in the morning, but uh, getting caught up. Now. I mean, we literally talked for six hours. I know. I know. And there's, now we're doing this. There's still more to go. <laughs> But uh, uh, and back to the tunnel vision conversation, when I was falling asleep last night, I started thinking about your iron head idea, like flipping the head. Oh, yeah. And the bolt pattern. And my mind just started lighting up with ideas how to extend a rocker box over to the other side, how to line that up and reinforce it. I got so excited I couldn't sleep. Dude, I, literally, you flip those heads. So this was my idea in my head that I want, like back in 2009, I wanted to build a, a divorce tranny iron head with the the heads flipped around. So you would take the you take the front head, put it on the back, flipped, and then take the back, put it on the front, flipped. Uh, oh, I didn't realize that. I was well, just flipping would, the head where they were at in my brain. Yeah, you could do that too. It's a different look. Yeah. But you could literally just put the pipes on the other side of the bike and the carb on carbon pipes would come out the other side of the bike. Yeah. It would just look totally different. And then back How then. How would you was, flip the rocker boxes then? You don't. They they line up. The bolt patterns line up. But the valves then is the geometry all the same, even if they're flipped? Uh yeah. Uh, you have to drill uh, a oil passage line to get that oil oh, yeah, you would have to back do down oil. through the cylinder. Oh, um, but that was one thing I was like holding, like, I was like, I want to build this bike. You know how it is. You have all these ideas. You're going to build a bike. And then like 20 years later, it's not, you haven't even started. You it. may still get to it. Yeah. But people have done it since. So, oh, they have. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. But I think maybe, I mean, of course, like you see things and it's never, it's never really entirely your idea, but, um, there was, fuck, what, I don't think it was Ed Raw, it was, or, uh, A-double-E or, um, they, they made this, it was like a, a trike, but it had like, it had like four, four, like, uh, 10 inch wheels, 10 inch wide wheels on the back of it. It was a fiberglass deal. It had an iron. It had two iron head motors, and a long front end. And I, if I remember correctly, they had a photo shoot with like a leopard sitting on it. So it was like a twin trike, twin iron head trike. But to in order to to do the the exhaust, um, they flipped the heads on the one because the motors sat side by side. Oh, so you couldn't have the exhaust coming out the same side and yeah. still couple the motors. And they flipped the heads, so you had. You had, I guess it was would be four exhaust pipes coming out, one, and two on each side. Whoa. And I remember seeing that in an old magazine and uh, be like, man, it'd be cool to build a little, get a get a 45 frame, um, single loop frame, divorce the tranny, put put either, you know, a panhead or or even a British trans behind it. I like the, the look of a Harley trans, obviously, but. Um, be nice to have an extra gear, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but then, yeah, doing that with the heads, but then welding fins on because you then have to, you do have to, um, you'd have to machine room for your, your push, rods. push rods to come through when they flip. But then do something unique with the fins uh, to make it look, you know, you just want to make it look like it was always, it was a motor that was made that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then back then I was reshaping rocker boxes to make them look completely different, which I did on my first iron head. Dude, I loved those. That but, was such an ornate bike to look at when you were done. Even the way, like, in 21 days when you're packing and you drop the seat in and it just... I mean, it looks like it's on magnets. It's crazy. It's so, it's so flush and decorative, but just smooth. Every line, the way the frame rails kind of contour into the seat pan that you made, it's just. Well, those rocker box, actually the rocker box was the first thing that I ever did because all I had was a Dremel tool. Mm. I didn't have any from other jewelry? tools. From uh, jewelry? Is yeah. that what, what you have yeah. from jewelry? And uh, I started to go to town on these rocker boxes because I hated the fact that I was going to have an iron head. <laughs> the last thing I ever wanted was a fucking iron head. Like, I want to be that fucker that's always in the back, can't keep up, broke down. But I wanted it to look like something different. I wanted to disguise the fact that it was an iron head. So I started reshaping them and... um and there's a lot you can do. It's just, it's up to your imagination, you know, like, and I kept the oil line that, that runs in between the, the two rockers. So I, I just shaped it, but left that all in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was something that was really unique. Um, but, uh, I'm trying to think of where we're you going with that. Definitely changed people's outlook on that bike. The fact that you ro- you ride it as far as you do, and I was- still ride it to this day, which that's wild. Man. I have knucklehead motors sitting in my living room. I have panhead motors, which I'm like, ah, do I really want to put the? I'll just put you're gonna on. be bummed. I'm warning you. Like, <laughs> the, they are so much more fun to ride. You, it's undeniable. And anybody who has a stigma against these bikes, when you and I've had, I've only had two. But both of them were, in my opinion, the funnest motorcycle I owned at the time. Well, I even say that about 45s. 45s, you get on them, there's these little things. And and for some reason, they're so much more fun to ride. They're light. Light. Really light, low. And uh, and with that single down tube, they kind of rock. Yeah, they know, have like, a flex to yeah, them. Yeah, and they, I, I rode uh, one of the El Diablo runs. This was before I had my bike built. I I become really good friends with Rich Phillips. He uh, does leather seats, fabricator, building amazing bikes, um, and really hit it off with him early on. And he he was like, "Hey man, I'm, I want to do this ride down into Mexico." And he always let he had his twin cam that he would always let me ride. But he had picked up this forty five flathead that I think it was a military bike, and it came from Australia somehow and ended up back in Missouri where he picked it up and uh he's like man it hasn't run in like 30 years but if we can get it running you could you could ride this bike a 45 to Mexico yeah well we tra- we trailered to um to Temecula oh okay from and you crossed and then did the did the run from Temecula down San Felipe Bob, San Felipe and yeah. back up but that bike hadn't 
run in years and we like got it running literally at midnight the night before we were going to leave in the morning mexico here we come (laughs) got out there and fuck that bike was so much fun and it was cool because when we were like messing around with it every washer like they had washers but it was there were buffalo head nickels that somebody had drilled through no way to make washers like that so it was a chopper yeah it was like a a short a short chopper bobber 45 bobber kind of thing yeah and god damn the thing was so fun to ride down through mexico they are fun they're a blast the way they feel just the 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 sound of the motor and 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 there's just something about those little things that are so fun my buddy had one that still had it had the um it had the service car transmission in it so it still had reverse so we'd always try and ride it backwards (laughs) (laughs) damn dude that is the hardest thing in the world i don't care how much time you give it it's it's not possible i don't know that it's possible uh it kind of reminds me being over at uh um Matt Walker, Dale Walker's that wheels through time. They have this oh, bike yeah. in there that they offset the uh, hub, so the wheels aren't lined up. The hub is like the wheel would go around like oh I long. see it would and, and so you had two hubs that were off and to try to ride that thing you know around it's like it's hopping all of it. and. And I think Matt would get on it and just ride the shit out of it, you know, like he could ride that thing, but anybody else get on it and there's just no possible way. That's like a circus. <laughs> I haven't been to through uh I haven't been to that spot yet, but man, it looks awesome. It's unreal. Um and then just thinking back to those early days too, you know, Matt's my age and um seeing him at at the shows or seeing him out. I think I met him out in Sturgis the first time and I mean, I didn't, I didn't know who he was or, but we just hit it off, you know? And and then years later, um, me and some of the guys were, were riding to born free. We rode, we kind of did the Northern route. We left Chicago, went up through, uh, we went through Wyoming down through Salt Lake and visited my friend's aunt up Aunt kinky up in the, in the mountains outside of like San Jose somewhere. But we're riding down the coast and uh it's the four of us on choppers and you know you you you're with your dudes and we we like to ride you know everybody say it but we like to ride hard and tight and even through all those turns down is it the nine i can't remember but were you on the coast like we were, coast the coast yeah yeah we were on the coast going down but we the one highway well one. we were coming out of san francisco um alice's restaurant we oh yeah yeah yeah, that place is rad yeah so you cut over from alice's out to the coast um maybe that's what it was but out of san francisco we took that route Uh, yeah yeah, yeah. that's inland a little bit yeah but really windy and curvy that's awesome did that and then then we did get to the coast and we're i think it was right about when we popped out on the coast because we hopped off the bikes we had the bikes parked out on the one and we're fucking around on the coast and this dude pulls up and, and then it's coming like he parks his bike and is like walking towards us. I'm like, we're like, Oh, who's this? You know? Yeah. And it's Matt. And oh, his, no way. And his girl. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm like, Oh fuck. Good to see you. Cause he recognized the bikes sitting out there and he, and he's like, you mind, you mind if I ride with you guys the rest of the way down? I'm like, yeah, no problem, man. But you know, just to warn you, you know, 
we we're moving we're moving you know <laughs> you never know when you just haven't ridden with somebody you know and um but god damn like i i never knew him i i never had really ridden with him and, and never seen him race a bike and that motherfucker can ride a motorcycle. No shit. And and then yeah, going down the one through the curves, and then you're just like you look over and you're like fuck yeah, you know you get that feeling when you're riding next to somebody, and you're just hitting them really hard. And, and it makes it so much more enjoyable. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get the people that ride staggered. I mean, I might as well just ride to California by myself if somebody's gonna be in my blind spot of whatever mirror I may have may or may not have, you yeah. know, like my chopper doesn't have a mirror, but if I were on a modern bike, like you can't even see the dude in your mirror cause he's in your blind spot. So what the fuck? I like to have that. I mean, maybe that's coming from choppers or the, the club mentality of, of riding side by side. You have your dude, you watch out for your dude you're riding next to because if he's gone, he might have, he's probably got an issue with his bike. Yeah. And then you stop and, and you sort it out. But if like you're just cruising along and like you're, you're fucking dazed out and you know, you're 30 miles down the road and you're like, Wait, where the fuck is he? Where did he go? And you turn around and you're just going forever. You know, I just, I'm like, when people do that, I'm like, just come, come up right here. Just stick right here. And yeah. also as a photographer, cause this is how, this is kind of how I moved into shooting motorcycles. I never planned on it, but, I would be on these rides and I'd just start documenting my life as it was happening. And, um, but you know, it was just, you were on the road, you were, you were moving down the road, doing, doing thing, riding. It was first and foremost, you were riding with your friends and seeing beautiful places. And, but if, if you were riding next to somebody, um, and they were hanging right with you, that moment would pop where it was like, you had that, you know, like, you had a mountain, like a peak pop up or you're on a bridge and, and just things happen. And at a moment's notice, you grab your camera and you take that shot. But if they're hanging way back, you're not, you're never going to get that. No, there's no point. Yeah. So that, that's where I'm just like, ride right next, put your handlebar, touch my handlebar, just ride right there. And that's how I've always loved to ride. So that's how, that's how that started just because you guys rode tight like that and the moments were always dude those moments are powerful when you in solidarity when you're riding next to your your buddy and he's that close and you both see the same thing and you're stoked and you look, look at each at, other yep. through the wind and through the sound and you look at each other and you have that moment where you just nod your head and you're like fuck yeah no words even spoken and all and my friends that i ride with they know that because i'll ride all day and not take a photo but that sun will start to set and all of a sudden I'm up on the bike getting, you know, just getting the angle that I want. And I just, and I'm in it and I feel it and, and it's happening and they just, you know, they know, they know what to do now. Yeah. Yeah. Or they just know that like, Oh yeah, this is the magic moment or this, there's something they're feeling the magic too, but I'm just, I'm just photographing it. And they trust you. Yeah. That's the thing. When you are one of the guys with the camera and you're, I mean, there's a lot of risk involved in what we do. <clears throat> I always think about that when someone new joins the crew and if I'm going to take a picture of them or not. And just like you were saying, I'm like, stay close. If they get spooked, they can do something weird. Yeah. And the best shot is when you're in a corner with someone, mm -hmm. handlebar to handlebar. And the way, it's so funny because 
when I started out, I had a lot of influences. Like I was still running, you know, photography was always my way out. You went to, you did school for, did you say jewelry and metalsmithing? That's where it started. I took some courses and that was in my head, my focus. Yeah. And then you'd spend fucking hours on one piece and somebody would be oh that's really cool i'll give you 20 bucks for that <laughs> you know, like, no you know and like you're putting all this love into it and then um i took a photo class and it was film back then yeah there was no there was i mean maybe digital was coming in but the, you couldn't touch it and it wasn't even to the quality that you'd even want to mess with right so i fell in love with that darkroom process black and white but it's it translates from like the tangible elements of what you're doing with jewelry like there's a constructive element to it yeah and i'll go back to that because we don't have that anymore no now that it's not a wet process there's no chemicals involved and and no dedicate like the screen is lifeless but uh i can see how that like attention to detail and focus would translate into photo then for you but i was always looking at your photographs and i'm like all right he shoots high like that is awesome because you get the road goes it's such a vanishing perspective and then you know you can you can drop the horizon wherever you want and so when I was kind of like trying to figure out my style of shooting I'm like it was it was your imagery that made me go low because I I was like I can't rip this guy off you know and also you were shooting with probably like as far as I could tell maybe really wide like 12 mil 10 mil somewhere that, around back there. then i did shoot wide but it was it was never i learned over the years like to i didn't like having that distortion it was a lot of distortion yeah but it looked cool man yeah um but that came from like going i would just adjust like if you were going over a bridge I I would jump up on the bike yeah because you want to see the water i want to see everything. the water and everything yeah. that's going on down there uh, you know, I would sh- shoot low too to, uh, you know, if there's a bridge going over you, you know, you want to shoot low to get the bridge up, you know, up high. Or, but that's the beauty from with shooting from a bike. You just tap the brake with your foot and you, you slow down a little bit to get the angle you want. I mean, or, the whole bike is your camera. Yeah. Everything. Um, but going back to what you're, you kind of alluded to with riding next to somebody in the trust, now shooting more of the corporate stuff. Um, sometimes I struggle when they, they want me to shoot the rider, you know, quote unquote, and they're a model mm-hmm. and like, I have no connection to that person cause we just were we're just live separate lives. I'm not really, <clears throat> it takes me a minute to, to warm up to people and to understand people. I, I don't like bossing people around. I just have never been that person to like, um, tell somebody what to do like a director. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've always loved finding those, those, uh, special moments where they're not even thinking about me or know that I'm there. So I have found the one thing that happens is now, now we are using more riders, the people that ride and, and, um, people you can connect with easier. Yeah. But that connection doesn't happen until like, I'll be shooting them like just uh you know on a cliffside or whatever or in the spot they you know they have lined up for me to shoot and it, you know it's just it feels kind of dead i'm like okay yeah just be you you know and they're like well you know and uh 
and I'm like, you know what? Let's go for a ride on the bikes and, and, uh, we'll hop on the bikes and we'll go for a ride and then I'll shoot them. And then they're like, Whoa, they're like thrown way off by it. But there's a connection that happens between two people. Once you've ridden next to each other for sure. So that's what I've always relied on was that connection that happens and the trust that happens when you've ridden next to somebody. So once you've established that it's a totally different dynamic. So when we stop at the next overlook and I'm shooting them for their clothing, or I have to shoot them as, as a model uh, and kind of focus in on the, the clothing pieces, they're a totally different human that's and, interesting. They, and they open up in an honest way and they trust you. It's a hell of an icebreaker. And those, that's, that's what I rely on. And, and, People in the corporate world don't understand that. For one, a lot of them don't ride. They don't understand the motorcycle aspect or what a motorcycle does to your being and your soul and uh, what it does for two people riding next to each other and the, the friendship, the connection, the trust that happens between two people just just from taking a 30-minute ride. It's it's unreal, the, the switch that happens. So it's really hard for me... Th- to when there aren't bikes involved to just, Hey, go shoot clothing. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Over time you start having conversations and they let their guard down and it takes longer to get there. But that motorcycle and it'll just, it'll just fast track it, man, because you're both vulnerable and you're doing this thing that, you know, I mean, I hate to, I hate to dwell on the danger, but it is a real risk when you have, maybe you don't know this person Maybe they got their license like a week ago. Oh, well, I've been in many of those situations because you they know, could kill you, man. It's it's unreal. Like also, these people really want to be working for Harley Davidson when they're looking for people. Um, people want to be involved in it, so they they'll. Well, this happened on the last day of the shoot before I came here. Um, woman, we were going to shoot a mother and a daughter, and they were both riders. Well, we got there. And the daughter was like, well, I don't actually ride. You know, we we're like, well, what? we have this huge. Are you going to yeah. ride on the back? <laughs> That's what she did. Okay. <coughs> okay. <laughs> That's a little bit of a curveball if you're. Yeah. Yeah. So it changed for a the shot whole, list. And, you know, this is, this is commercial advertising. And uh, there was a whole story that was developed that we were creating. A narrative and, you a were narrative. shaping. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, uh. And that's what, that's what we had to do. But also then on the other side of it, there's the people that say that they're great riders and oh, I've been riding for years and, um, or maybe they don't even lie. They're like, yeah, I got my license, but they don't, you know, they actually got their license a couple of days before that. <laughs> there was one shoot that we did and it was a pretty cool, it was a pretty cool idea from the start. Like they, you know, the earlier social media days where they were like, okay, um, how do we approach social media? We need to, at first they focused on motorcycle people that were, um, uh, really connected to motorcycling and the community. We're like, well, we're not reaching any other communities to sell these bikes. So let's reach out to these other people, whether they were athletes or, um, you know, any, anything outside of businessmen. Yeah. Yeah. 
or just, you know, pretty people that have a following, you right. know. <laughs> Which um, seems to be the most important yeah, thing yeah. anyone's concerned with now. <laughs> so they reached out to um, six of these people uh, who had never ridden before, and they're like, hey, we want to put you through our course. We're, uh, when you get through that, we'll give you a motorcycle. Okay. We'll let you go through the P&A cat, parts and accessories catalog. You customize it to, you know, it's all stock stuff, but, you know. Uh, so they customize their bike. Who the fuck were these lucky people? <laughs> Jesus. Well, some of them. So here, here's the dynamic. Um, they go through the course. They get the bike. They customize it. Well, they're given like three months to to learn their bike, get used to being on their bike. Well, the first ride as a group would and i don't know why they picked this well we know why because it's beautiful Mm -hmm. angeles crest okay going out of la this is the first ride okay you look at the the odometer on some of these bikes some of them have a couple hundred miles on them well there's a couple that have like 0.5 miles on them, dude and i have to ride next to these people and photograph them and i scariest thing going around a turn i literally see this dude putting his feet down oh my god oh my god 50 miles an hour going around a turn both feet oh my god i'm like oh my god and i mean those cliffs and you could die easily absolutely and i have to be next to them shooting because i have (sighs) so um you know but being in those situations you know you and you know it like you're reading every little movement that somebody in front of you or around you or the cars coming at you you're reading everything that's going on the plan b yeah yeah so um i i was never uncomfortable i was un- i was uncomfortable for them yeah because they could die yeah and i don't want to see that no and when you're shooting that's one of my dude that's why i incorporated because i, I was thinking about it and as much as i do this so I mean, something could happen to me very easily, but if somebody something happens to somebody while we're shooting, I'm like, I need to be protected against that because people want their picture taken yeah. on a motorcycle and they'll like risk it sometimes. Corporate world, I'm sure, takes precautions and it doesn't sound like it though. If you threw, throw newbies up on Angela's Crest, I mean, that's a serious road and if you're on there on a weekend, you've got... You've got the supercars coming mm-hmm. through. You've got the sport bike guys coming up on you at 100 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Like, it's no joke. Yeah, it's a it's a really weird fine line with the, the corporate aspect of it. Um, sometimes, yeah, so, you know, I, I sometimes I can't shoot like that, um, you know, depending on what who's in charge and the situation. And so I'll go long periods of time not being able to shoot how I shoot and like how I've, how I've established myself and how I even got there back then that shoot was, I was, I was uh freelance, so I wasn't connected to the company. So as soon as you got a full-time position with them, which I know you never thought you would be the Harley photographer, they said no riding on the bike and shooting. No, not at that time. It, it took a couple years and then. Why do you think they did that? let me shoot that way well why do you think they wouldn't let you shoot that way after um just because it's it's just you know it's a revolving door of just different people that come nothing ever happened though right like no 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 liability issue it was like whoa what the what is this like what is going on we can't have that and 
Um, what did that conversation sound like? I mean, I, can I you get into it? Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I know. We don't have to. We don't have to go into that. But I'm, I am fucking shocked. There are so many things that I, I'd probably just talk totally differently on these sorts of uh, platforms if if uh, there wasn't a whole. No, you've got to look out for for the company you work for and and yourself at yeah. that point. But I the the Harley, the last conversations that I ever had with that company were with Jim Fricky, yes. who was not anybody. He was he, just the museum guy. Yeah, yeah, and he was a great guy. And that was my understanding of the company until I heard from people like you that like what. Let me back up a little. Okay. So I think he was my first introduction to you and who you were. Okay. Yeah. And bless his heart, Jim. We might have to start rolling around the floor here in two seconds because uh, <laughs> go because on. Uh, <laughs> I had that show at the museum, uh, yeah. the, the exhibit, and they exhibited my work. But I, I think the plan was you were supposed to be the guy. Well, we had had that conversation and <clears throat> I never signed anything. And I was, it's funny you mentioned that. I got to. I got to remember that because I think he just had a a great love for you and your work and what you were going through at the time. And, and maybe you weren't even done doing that trip. I think he knew about it. He hadn't seen, I don't, maybe he hadn't seen any images, but he knew what you were going through in your life and that great shit was going to come out of it. Um, and that would be the exhibit. Um, but I I had already been working with the company uh, for many years before that. Yeah, you had been their guy for a while. Yeah, um, so it just it happened, and um, Jim, man, I love that dude. I just do too. the way he he's just you can feel his passion coming out in his words. Um, but he brought your name up, and uh, I'm like, oh, who's this guy riding around on an old motorcycle? And, <laughs> you know, like, and I and. I, you know what? To be honest, I've never been the guy to. The camera is is kind of fourth in line for me. Okay, it's traveling, seeing beautiful places, meeting interesting people, the motorcycles. Then the camera comes. That camera keeps me involved in all of those things that I love. So I've never been the guy that's like seeking out other photographers or looking at what other people are doing. Um, I will say that the, the one influence that I had was Owenston link um, being in college sitting. And I hated, I just hated sitting and I couldn't sit in classes. I had to be working with my hands. Yeah. Like to, so to sit in some of those classes and, and like art history. history and, yeah. 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 Um, Owenston links work just like blew my mind. What was it about? about his work. Well, for one, um, it was capturing a time period back then. It was the fifties and, uh, are you familiar with it? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he would, um, he would study the train schedules and these were old, I guess there were, there was coming out of the steam engine world into the more modern locomotive. Um, but he, this was back when it was flash bulbs and, and, um, view camera he had one opportunity to make this shot work. He would study the schedules of the trains. Um, he'd set up 
a shot where he would have flashbulbs mounted inside of buildings. He'd have uh, scenes and scenarios going on inside windows. He'd have cars parked on the streets that were lit. Um, you know, and he couldn't. This that's was so this was complex. flashbulbs. I know that's wild. Like he, he'd have to just understand the lighting and what it's going to look like from the point of view of the camera. And that's so inconsistent too. Yes. Wow. Um, and then the train would roll through and he would pop it, you know, and it, everything was lit. So my early work was more based around, uh, for publication when I would shoot bikes for, for features. Yeah. Um, you did use a lot of strobes back yeah. then. I remember. And, and, uh, Really, the reality was I had like one working. Well, I had two at one time, and then like that busted because of the vibration of my bike. And then I had one strobe, and I would use the sun on one side and a strobe on the other side. Anyway, um, <clears throat> that was my style because of Owenston Link. And, and back then, it, you didn't see that style, especially with magazines. If you think about Horse Magazine or um, the Chopper magazines back then, it was just like... It was just shit, you know, they were yeah, just descriptive was, photos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they yeah. weren't artistic photos. There may be a white psych yeah. and just like totally bombed out. Yeah, and but, that was about it. And it was like had footprints and tire marks <laughs> all over it. <laughs> um, but that, that, that was what shaped my style for publication. Um, and then it gets to the point where people see it. I love that you said you shoot low because I shot high because yeah. you didn't want to. I didn't want to rip anybody off. Yeah. Yeah. But man there's so many people out there that have no qualms about like, Oh, that's fucking cool. I'm, I'm, I want to do that. And they just, they straight up rip it off. And then years down the line, like you're not even, you're not even remembered as part of that equation. And you've changed because so many people, you have to, because it just becomes, and it's real. It's, it's unethical, dude. Every aspect of our industry is fucking unethical because we live in a time you're in a great position you're in a great position now because we're in a time where people need imagery more in history now than they ever have because it's how we that's how commerce is run you buy things based off pictures now not to say you didn't in the past but you know stores were a bigger deal and retail was a bigger deal but now they need imagery more than ever and they refuse to pay for it. Exactly. And that's, that's the biggest, they, they need it more than ever. Uh, and they, it's the one thing they won't pay for. And I, you know, working internally with these companies, you just, you know what their budgets were just years ago. Yeah. And now <laughs> they will not. And it's just stripped down, stripped down, stripped down. And, but then on the flip side of it, you see the amount of money they're spending on some other stupid bullshit. Oh, Dude. 500 a night hotel rooms and blah, blah. I'll sleep in the, I was always this way. Like when I had, when I was freelance, like give me that money that you're paying for. Cause I would tag along on a trip and we'd end up at a, a, a nice hotel at the end of the day. That was for the job. If I, it was just me, I was sleeping next to my bike. You know, roll oh, for sure, dude. I'll so, sleep in an ashtray <laughs> if I save 500 bucks. Um, so I'd be like, just give me that money. I'll sleep in the bushes outside. Like, what? I just couldn't wrap my head around spending that much money on a place to sleep for a night. And I slept on you. I mean, I'm, I, I'm in a good spot in my life right now. I could, 
go stay at a nice hotel. I slept on this fucking cot right here. You know, last it's, night. How, how was that, by the way? Uh, it wasn't great. Oh, okay. You're... <laughs> <laughs> There's some tricks to it. You know you, what? I've never been to... a cot guy. You... I'll, I should have just slept on the hardwood on floor. On the floor with that, the, yeah. that curve and the, the bar that goes across. Like, I sleep on my side. Yeah, so like... that is a hard one. <laughs> and if you get the pillows just right, you can kind of figure it out. But it takes a couple nights to get there. <laughs> Trust me. Well, I was on the pillows and my pillow was too low. Cause and then your up. head's cranked yeah. back. Yeah, I know. I know the drill. Oh, but <laughs> yeah. But you know what? It's funny because, uh, I mean, we keep going in zigzags here, but um, thinking about, I, I've been struggling here recently, the, the job I'm blessed with, but um, traveled so much this year. And it's one right after the next, and it's someone else's schedule, and it's it takes like, its toll. Sometimes it's it's not it's not even stuff I'm in necessarily inspired to shoot. Yeah, maybe it's motorcycle related, but um, but you know, you see some other things that that are going on, even within the company. You're like, why am I not involved with that? You know, because that that was always, you know, and then you see the. the I want to get too deep. Well, into they that, don't but. realize, Josh, that they have you like <laughs> you're the only credibility at this point that i give them the oh, entire motor company's credibility is based off my one friend that has stuck it out longer than any of those assholes that are calling the shots and i'm sorry i'm speaking so freely and i know that you you can't but uh well they just they just, just don't know what they have it comes you. in waves that's the problem like um some sometimes there are great there's great leadership um, but in the history that I've been there, it's just, it's just complete. It's just revolving door. It's every year it's someone new and the new guy, um, you know, he, he saw that the last thing didn't work. So he wants to go this direction and then, or she wants to do this or, you know, and then pe a lot of people will lose their jobs. And we've, we've been on a good groove here in the last number of years where, um, people haven't. You know, we, we've kind of letting it, letting it breathe and letting maybe some, there takes time to figure things out. Like, sure. You can't just come in and be like, oh, I'm going to get rid of all these people and then we're going to start fresh. Well, it takes time to like let things ferment and gel and, and turn into something good. I just, in the time that I've been there, that's what I've seen. It's just like, there's, you switch things around and it, by the time that it does start to gel, it just gets uprooted. Um, so I that's the biggest prop, but uh, I mean, Jochen, I, I do have a lot of respect for Jochen. He came in literally and there, he had to make a change when he came in, but he promised us that, um, you know, I'll make this change, but it's not going to be, cause it used to be Christmas every mm -hmm. year, Christmas, 1500 people lose their jobs right before good Christmas. god and you knew it was coming that's every a year. bloodbath man and it, everyone was so on edge they were so uneasy oh like, what i'm a... not gonna lose my job and you know back then and we're work from home now so now they're hiring from other places which is a whole nother topic but like milwaukee is milwaukee it's not a big city people take pride in the city um but harley davidson is the place to work there it's you know? the it's the factory and or or the or the um headquarters and the marketing and it's all it was all based out of there so that's that's where you, that's where you wanted to work so if you lost the job from there then it's like where what where do, do I you go do now living in the city um it was a very uncomfortable time um 
when you had to go through that. But, but since Jokin came in, he's, he's, um, he's been, he, he's held his promise so far and it's, you know, there's been some changes, uh, but you know, it hasn't been mass like that. I will say this. I've never met him, but I've heard him on the phone a lot. Just, you know, working with Jay and doing those campaigns. I've been in the room, like listening He listens. He does. And I and I was like, damn, dude, that... And I know, like, if you're someone like Jay, you have some clout and, yeah. like, you have some pull. But I, you could tell with him that it was genuine. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that might work. And sure enough, dude, he let us do a lot of what we were talking well, about. And no one else would. I'll tell you what. All the, all the safety and legal and all these restrictions that we always had... They're being broke down now, and he's letting Finally. us explore and and do stuff that's real, which is thank God, because uh, everything just was so contrived and fake, and uh, just they worried about every little every little thing, and now we're able to explore. But the the one thing ab- about and I've I've gotten to spend some time with Jokin um, on a, you know a more intimate level. I was in Scotland, uh, we were doing a shoot, and we ended up we ended up. E- we were, he was, we had this castle that we were shooting at and, you know, and then we were going to have sounds like a good shoot. Oh, man. <laughs> it was Bill Davidson, Jokin and, oh, and dude, my I, boss, you know, those are good people. Yeah. Like I've met Bill. He's awesome. Gen, just the best. And so respectful. Every, every, like it could be across the room. He's like, Hey Josh, how you been? You know? Damn, like, yeah. Uh, but going back to the, 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 the thing that got me the most about Jokin was, um, being in Sturgis, like he coming in, admittedly, like this wasn't his world coming in. He's he didn't come in and be yeah. like, I'm, I, this is my world now and I run the show. No, he's very gracious. He wants to learn. And when most of the, I see it a lot in the company and people, they're like kind of scared. Like you go to a place like Sturgis, it's overwhelming. Um, most of those people, they just, they either huddle up together and they just they don't take it in because they're just kind of like they're kind of terrified by it. Yeah, armor. It's yeah, like, ar- mm. yeah. And they they go do the thing. They like, oh yeah, I, I checked it out, and but they go back to their hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, man, Yokin go out by himself and and uh, has made friends with um, Sasha. Who you look at that dude? He's like looks like a fucking maniac. Yeah, yeah. like balding up top, red hair, has a white shirt that's like almost black (laughs) (laughs) and that dude is like has the biggest soul biggest energy but you any other person outside of the motorcycle community would be like who is yeah they'd be intimidated who is this maniac but he goes he hangs out at the shop sits in his living room plays guitar him and sasha are playing guitar and then uh sasha would have his um his um block party during Sturgis and Sasha plays music. So he'd set up a little stage, a little trailer with some, uh, PA and, and he, and he'll play a set and, and Jochen goes out and plays a couple songs. Dude, I love this story. Leonard Skinner. No fucking way. Jochen goes up. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, this is the CEO of Harley Davidson. It is. That, that, I did not. I wasn't aware that this was. And no, and no one did. It, people, they didn't know who he was. They people were just like, that worked for the company didn't even know he was going to be there or do that. That's awesome. <laughs> and so, but I was there because I love Sasha. And, yeah. And that's my world. 
but he's there hanging out and there's all these people that are there and you know it's like to outsiders like these are the scum of the earth that's you know just people looking in from afar yeah you know but he's there listening to their stories and genuinely taking it in and understanding what this community is all about with no judgment and participating exactly i love that story and from that so that was sturgis last year um and from that point on I'm like, i have so much respect for this man uh and then, then he did it again this year went up on stage and 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 played some songs with with Dude, Sasha. That, that is awesome i love that see my <clears throat> my last conversation with the motor company before i, I really had you know my no interest or bad experience just based off the way that they were treating my friends and just like I said, and, and I'm talking freely that you don't make any commentary here, but they seemed to just be taking and not having any regard or giving any care to what they were taking from. And that's hard for me to, mm-hmm. to observe in, in a, with these positions of power. But Jim, my understanding of leadership there was when I knew Jim with the museum. I'm like, dude, this guy is genuine and he knows what he's talking about. And I really like I was that was my only window in at the time. Well, that was my main window in. And I was like, this is this is great. Yeah. The energy between him and Kristen, um, I just it just felt so comforting and soothing. And um, that sounds weird to say, but uh, they were so passionate and 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 spoke intelligently and and understand like they would understand. They're very understanding people. Yeah. Um, the museum is a totally different facet of Harley than the court. Like they, they are there on their own island. Yeah, I get that now. And I didn't get to go to your show, by the way, but I really wanted to. Oh, it, and I'm you know stoked what? that you. I'm stoked that you got that. And that all came to be because of 21 Days, I think. Um. Right. No. Because those were images from the the ride you did. No. On... That this. I mean, that was around that time. Um, okay. So maybe some of those. It just was right made after in we there. did that ride. Yeah. They, okay. And I, I honestly was very hesitant to put those images in because, um, I had just a solid group of of friends that became family in Chicago, and m- most all those images were from like our first rides up to that point. And it told a story of, of this group of people. Dude, you've got like a decade of those guys. I have, I do have, this is, this is bad to say, but I've been meaning to put out a book. You should for so long. I have, I it's 10 years. There's cause I did bookmark it cause, um, things started to change, you know? And it's like, okay, like, um, there's a different era that's, that's, happened um and it started off so innocently with being in a place like chicago or la um it's just so expensive to have a space to work yeah so yeah it starts off with like a couple of guys that maybe they're not even into the same kind of motorcycle but they're they're into motorcycles so you're like man we you know let's get together and rent this place out and we'll all have a little area and and we can make a community here and and um we have a place to work and and we can afford it um well within that year it was like 
a, a there was like a line drawn down the middle of the shop. It was like Triumph guys on one side, Harley guys on the other side. But because you had this community, other people were coming into it and being like, oh, man, this is I'd like to have a space here. So then it, it just, attracts a crowd. Yeah. And it naturally it wasn't like, hey, fuck you guys. But it kind of it was the first ride we did. We'd, we'd ride around Lake Michigan and it That's and a it, big ride. Yeah. It's a thousand miles. That's a big ride. Yeah. Uh, and back then, none of us knew what we were doing with old so it was our really first, rolling like, that dice yeah <laughs> and like all the triumph guys immediately were and this it was the one and only time we had a chase truck because after that time like all the all the triumph guys were on the trailer i have a photo of just like three triumphs on the <laughs> and then another one packed in on top of that you know trying to fit the last one on there but um it did it did create a divide between between us and them um, but we're still buddies. We're still friends, but there was just a different, there was just a different energy. It's funny that the lines of evolution, that would be the thing that takes you in two different directions. Yeah. Just the shape of a motor. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Or the Everything, sound of a motor. Or the sound. Yeah. It's just, you're doing the exact same shit, but yeah. it was, it's just like. It's just a, a different personality. What were, the, Cause I, you know, like I jump around a lot. I have appreciation for a lot of bikes and I have my little circles. My garage is small enough now that like, I kind of have to concentrate on one thing. Like I got a little bit of Japanese going on, but it's mostly American bikes. Yeah. When I, in Seattle where we all started, did you ever come to twin line back then? I didn't. Okay. So that was, it was the, it was the coolest situation. Like you were saying, group of guys needed a space to work in we came together so we could afford it that building's no longer there but we i mean that place was a temple it was a church and it had british japanese american everything under the sun dude that's what i did know about seattle like it yeah. was a very eclectic rad it was it was a lot different from what i knew in chicago yeah uh, very open-minded um and and probably you guys were taking influence off of each other, so you had Big a more eclectic. Like I look at your shovel head. That's, yeah, that's a that's a. It's, to me, you see that bike, and it's it scream it screams a personality. And I know you. It's funny because I've gotten bad now with even faces, because uh, you just meet so many people, so many people, but a bike is how I remember people totally because I see that yeah. bike and there's a personality there and it's like, Oh, Oh shit. You're the, yeah. Okay. Like yeah. you put it together based on bike. Anyway, go on Seattle. Oh, oh, well I was just saying that is, that is an influence of my time in that garage. If you look at it, it's very much, you know, it, my buddy Keo at that time was building these bikes, these really athletic little Japanese bikes for ripping around the city. Yeah. And he and I would like, you know, on an early Sunday morning before anybody's awake, we'd rip around underneath the viaduct and shit and just play like a skate park. And we had to build bikes for that. So when I was building Well, that was the that was the era back then. It was short yeah. short, no sissy bar, like let's tear up the city. Yeah. A BMX bike. Yeah. So when I built my bike I didn't want it. I hated long bikes, but that's so funny. That's the last thing I ever wanted to build, but and I didn't have it. I didn't have a penny and went through a, 
went through a hard time in my life and that's what shaped me, but didn't have a penny. My dad bought a Norton and it had that front end. It's so narrow. It's so hard to find a tire that even fits between those those legs. Um, He wasn't going to run it because it didn't, he couldn't put a front brake on it. And, uh, and so I ended up with that long front end and I'm like, well, you know, I could cut it down, but no, you know what? I got 40 degrees of rake or some, I don't even know what it is. I think it's 40, something like that. And it worked and it just worked. And, uh, so that era, you didn't see those long bikes. No, those parts were so cheap. People were giving them away at swap meets. That and that's why I have a mountain to this day of ironhead bullshit. Like all my buddies, they're like digging for knucklehead, panhead, and shovelhead stuff, and and there'd be you know a, a weekend going by of people coming in and out picking stuff, and all that was left was that ironhead bullshit. So they're like, you know what? I'm just gonna scrap this. You just just give me just give me a hundred bucks, and you can take the pile. And like like hundred bucks. Uh, all right yep. you know now i just have a mountain of that shit i think because no one ever wanted it and I, I mean no one really wants it now but it's coming around for dude, sure I, it's, they're the funnest bikes to ride you put them together right they're the funnest fucking bikes to ride yeah they're fu- they're they're absolutely fun bikes and and the other thing too is i found like because you know i i have my bike um but you know i'll build one and and send it down the road and and you're just you're just kind of I love I love the idea of taking something that's kind of lost its life or its luster and and it's kind of been neglected and then and the, making it a gem again and putting it back out in the world. That's it's, the point. That's where you're ahead of the curve. If you're chasing the curve, you're too late, man. Yeah. If you're trying to get into knuckleheads now, bro. Well, okay. I have a knucklehead now, and it and it was a good friend of mine, much older than me. Uh, he acquired the motor, uh, you know, early, early nineties. And back then it was big inch motors and, and no one wanted a knucklehead yeah, back yeah, then. Yeah. So he had this motor sitting in the shop for years and I was like, what's up with that knucklehead? You know? And, uh, he's like, well, you got, you got your names on it. Like you got first dibs whenever I'm ready. And I think 15 years went by and this was my a year and a half ago, probably, uh, he called me up. It's like, I'm ready to do it. And That's the only way you do it now. Yeah. That's it. But you put your time in. Yeah. So it's not like you're just starting now. You started 15 years ago. Exactly. On this. So, but then, you know, dreamed of having a knucklehead all those years. And, and again, going back to how I built my iron head, it was, I built it that way. Cause I didn't want it to look like an iron head. Right. Um, and I can totally tell where you'd made all the right decisions, like the backbone on your bike and the, the stretch from the axle to the down tube is perfect with the, is it a 19 you have in the rear? Yeah, 19. That 19 fills it in perfectly. Like it stands perfectly. That's the hardest fucking thing. Iron to heads do. are difficult. Like They're that. hard. That's why people don't like them. Yeah, because you have that that the seat to, or you know what would be the where the transmission mounts and that that post going up. It's in a weird spot. It's like, well, do you put the oil bag in front of it or behind it or where do I put the battery if I got a starter? And um, I just I was like, well, I need to well I need to have a horseshoe oil bag anyway because I wanted to look more like a big twin. You know? Yeah. So uh, just made it all 
fit together and just lines coming from jewelry and art like just stepping back and look and that's what i appreciate about japanese builders just to watch them dude look at a motorcycle you're watching their eye follow every line and and then they study every line how it how that line affects this other line their relationship to space is unparalleled hide you know the, the dude, oh, the, the, that, dude that 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 sportster that he built that's what I. That's where I took all the cues for that one on the bench right now. Though uh, that single down tube, the loop tail. All right, well, are we talking about the um, the the new Sportster that he did? The the well, it's not that new. Okay, it no, has I'm, it has a I'm, loop tail. I'm talking about the brand new. You talking about High Day? Yeah. Um, the so Harley did when they launched the the new Sportster. Um, oh, the new new sports. Yeah, okay. With the RevMax motor. I haven't seen this. Um, they approached a number of different builders and they they gave them a bike and like, "Hey, we want we want you to put your vision on this." I'm personally cuz I've been a sportster guy for for so long, not willingly, but yeah. have fallen in love. Yeah. To me, um uh well, even a flathead motor, but a K model is more directly related to a 2020 Sportster than a 2022 is related to uh, a 2020 Sportster. Holy shit. Just the, the by design. Right. Yeah. Quad yeah, yeah. cam. Um, but anyway, so like that big change, I mean, you know, that's with anything you see any big change you're like you're turned off by it right away maybe you start to love it in time um but you know i'm rooted in history really i mean that's art we like the old shit yeah yeah but what he did with one of those new bikes is just like oh i gotta look this mind-blowing because really there was what eight other builders and um his bike just speaks it just just the his lines and the way he, he so it's Hyde. Mm-hmm. I did not know how to pronounce. Yeah, it. I never. I was said Hyde too. Yeah, uh, but he he has he has. Well, it's probably not even that. That's the American version of right. <laughs> We're both wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever he is, yeah. <laughs> has he has no contender in his ability to relate space. It's perfect. Yeah, with what is there, it's perfect. So they gave him they gave him one of the new ones to customize, mm-hmm. and it's it's in my opinion by far the best version of that bike. I gotta look that up. But no, I was talking about the old Ironhead that he did. The and now old, I'm seeing it. I know which one. You're yeah, talking about. the old yeah. Magfire one. That uh, just the trickery in the way that he 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 just made that geometry work, and um, that's where. I looked at what he was doing. I didn't not say I ripped him off, but I was like, Oh dude, I see if I draw, if I make my own, you know, if I do my own loop tail and don't break it here, the problem is they get too low. If they get, if they don't get too long, they get too low. And so I was like, I can just build the axle plates off center here. As long as they've got room to travel, that's how you do it. And I saw, I knew that because I saw him do it and it works. Yeah. It works. Um, Dude, do you have to piss? I have to pee. Did you see my leg shaking? I did. I'm just comfy right yeah. now. Oh, you're but, good. You're sitting in. But I'm typically that guy. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna pause this because I have to piss so bad. Check check. All right. Check check. All right, we're Emptied back. Out. You need some more coffee. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm running on empty. What do you think of this jacket? I I just got this in the mail. This is the first run of like the khakis. Dude, that's killer. Yeah, it's really light too, which I'll show. See, feel- it's the perfect color to like to. Yeah, you know, it, you start with white, and you're like, oh, I don't want to get it dirty because it's white, and then, but you got to get through that break in time, and then it starts to look similar to this. Yeah, you but you're just, already there. And yeah, then if it is a little dirty, it's all right, and you get that in between time, and it still looks good. I'm looking forward to fucking this one up. So you feel that black one? That that's oh, like fuck, that's heavy. Yeah, that's the heavy duty stuff, and that's even lighter than the. That's a prototype. That's lighter than the one that we finished with. So. Wait, who, who's making this? Talison. Okay, yeah. It, but th- this one, feel how light that is. Oh, yeah. This is like the, any kind of weather. You put a puffer under this and you're you're good. Yeah. So I'm, I'm stoked, but I, I have to shoot this because I just got it in. This was the, the very first one. Still getting used to it. It's nice, too. What size are you, you think, uh, jacket-wise? Medium? Dude, you should try that on. It's a medium. Let me and get up right now. Do it. Fuck it. Do it. Let me <laughs> see. Because <laughs> I'll wear a medium sometimes if I want to, like, wear some layers underneath. And that's... We put a different zipper on the final one. It's uh, It zips from the other you side. You know what? That's perfect. You like that? Yeah. Dude, do you want that one? Uh, are you serious? Yeah. That's the very first one we ever made. You know my color's black. I know it is. <laughs> I'm trying to break that. I'm trying not to wear so much black all the time, but that I mean, Man, is, if, it, is... it, it looks it looks fucking good on you, dude. Damn, really? Yeah, dude, I like this. Keep that one. Yeah, yeah. Wind. Check it out. This is what we went with. Those were the the prototype buttons, but we ended up going with brass rivets, so yeah. they they'll never come out. I mean, any deck jacket, those always yeah. end up coming off eventually. But I loved those buttons. It took me a long time to pick those out. And then keep that wind out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Dude, you'll need that tonight when we go to the park because it's oh. going to be cold. You... I am so stoked. When Jenny mentioned that, I'm like, man. It's going to be a fun night. You came at a great time because the people are just getting excited about the weather changing. Like we've been smoldering all, and I love the heat, but it people get they just get in a different attitude. You know, like when fall yeah. comes. Oh yeah, yeah. I could feel it getting here. Uh, we were in Salt Lake for a week shooting, and oh, it was fucking beautiful. Uh, and I love Salt. Lake. And you probably have gotten this too. Like you've ridden all over the U.S., and people are always like, "Where's your favorite place to ride? What's your?" What, where would you suggest? I, I've always said Utah. Same. Same. Utah is Top most, to bottom. Everywhere. Everywhere. And it's so diverse and every it's it's so beautiful and magical and there's an energy to it. And uh, People are very nice. You know what? I always thought that too, but I I, I retract. Okay, let's oh, leave, what happened? Let, let's, <laughs> let's leave Salt Lake City out of the... I don't know, man. I just haven't fallen in love with Salt Lake City, the city itself. I don't know much about it. I know Decker, but he's yeah. not even in Salt Lake anymore. No. Um, and Andy is great. Pangea. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. 
And I have I have really great friends there, but <laughs> we we were shooting right. Fuck, we would be up in the mountains, and then halfway through the day we'd be down in the city, and um, I I become a coffee snob, <laughs> and uh, so we got on this lunch break and went to this shop, and I'm not even gonna say what shop it is because I'm puzzled about it. I walk in and <laughs> and uh, also I'd never used the word cunt, <laughs> <laughs> but. Being my best friend uh, back home, she's she's Australian. Move, actually, she's been here for over twenty years. She's moving back like in the next day. I'm gonna, I've I've said goodbye to her. But uh-huh. um, you know, Australian, they, they they're very liberal with the way they use cunt. Yeah, and but, I I think it's hilarious. Anyway, I don't mean any. Uh, you know, people seem to be really offended by that word. But anyway, uh, getting a coffee and it. it the work staff there was very cunty. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, but I was like, I'm not coming back to this fucking place. Was the coffee, even, did it live up to the cuntiness? Or was so it here honey? we go. Okay. Have the coffee. I literally feel like I've taken some meth. Whoa. And, and this is like on a shoot. Like, I mean, we're, we're out there. We're there an hour before sun up. We're out there two hours after sundown and then driving it's like two hour drive from location back to hotel you don't sleep so lunchtime rolls around and i get this coffee and i'm "I'm never going back to this fucking place yeah and um have the coffee and i'm fucking wired i'm like yeah let's go you know (laughs) just fucking wired i'm like ah i can't go and it was good great coffee ended up going back there again and same thing as and then was with somebody and they're like I know what drugs feel like. They have to be putting something. Oh, in seriously? I've never felt like I know what drugs feel like, right. and this feels like drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so then, then we were shooting up in the mountains for like four days, and we couldn't because we were up so early and back so late. We no access it. to yeah. your drug dealer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, cursing this place for the service is uh-huh. just so, you know. <laughs> anyway. The last day, it started snowing halfway through the shoot, and we called it, and uh, we were both, we got to get that, we got to get that coffee shop. We gotta get that. <laughs> so go back there, and we're like, then we had to get a third opinion from another guy in the shoot, like, dude, check this coffee shop out. Like, I swear they're putting something in it. <laughs> what did he think? Did it? Uh, he's like, oh, so then, so he went, and I was like, the next morning, I was like, what do you think about that coffee? He's like, well, I'm standing out in front of the door right now. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, um, dude, I, I love coffee like that when it, I mean, I try and not get a dependency on caffeine, but if, if there is, uh, a blend that someone uses that wakes me up like that and I don't crash. Yeah. I'm like, that's it. And it was like hours and hours and hours. Yeah, that's good shit. That might've been some, if I was fucking dosing it with something, dude, well, we're going back to set. Well, I think we're going back to Salt Lake. I'm on a so came had a week in Salt Lake City, um, and then we have a little because we got to switch all the bikes around. So, how many uh, days shoot is this in total when you're done? Um, well, I have a a round trip ticket from uh, Milwaukee to Salt Lake. It was the 14th, and the return flight is on the 7th of november so october to november damn that's a a long fucking campaign dude but 
I'm take I'm here now in between. Yeah, you um, got it some days off. Yeah. So but can, that's a that's a feature, dude. Yeah, it's it's all it's the biggest shoot of the year and um it's all the all the all the new model stuff. So um but what were we talking about? Yeah, what were we talking about? <laughs> Uh, oh well, I will. Let's go back. We were just talking about Danger Dan. Oh yeah, when I did his podcast, I had just drank like two French presses full of coffee, and I listened back to that podcast. I, I'm like, man, it sounds like I'm on fucking crack. You, I'm like, you were jazzed. I'm like going in thirty different directions all at once. I'm like, I can't drink coffee before I do this little this little interview. There's an there's an art to. Uh these conversations because you want to stay on track, but some of the best little converse, like micro conversations I have are sidetrack things. Yeah. So I always do my best to remember where we left off, <laughs> but I, when I start to get excited when people go off topic a little bit, cause I'm like, Oh, we're get we're getting to something. I feel like I've been waiting to I sit. think it's you that goes off topic. It could be. It you, probably you, is. Like, you get a spark in your, in your, I can see it. Like you get a spark in your your mind, you, and and you go, but it's great. You yeah, that's that's my ADD. <laughs> it definitely. But I'm that way too. Like telling stories, I kind of like I remember a certain part of it that may have related that happened a year before, and then all of a sudden I'm talking about, it and then I forgot how I got yeah. back to that. And, but it's important at the time, so you go there. Yeah. <clears throat> but with you, I've been. I mean, I've been waiting to ha- talk to you for a long time because you're one of the only bridges in conversation I have between shooting and really building and riding these bikes. This is a lot of photographers I have on here, which we have a great photo conversation, but just quite aren't there with the bikes yet or whatever. Like, honestly, you're really the only guy I know, like the other guy (laughs) that lives off the bike and shoots. You know what we were talking? Okay. Speaking of off topic. I'm going back when you were talking about like just sleeping anywhere funny little story when we were shooting scott's movie out in kansas we got had a layover in from weather in dallas and i'm with these two girls that are on the project and we're realizing we're gonna have to sleep at this airport and we're trying to find a hotel and there's this real sense of panic a little bit from them. And and I will say they handled themselves great. But I was just like, I immediately went into that mode where I start looking around. And I'm like, I could sleep under that. I could sleep over there. I was just not worried at all. Yeah. You know, and then I started thinking about it. I'm like, okay, not everybody works like this, especially like these two girls that I'm with. We're going to have to find somewhere to sleep, but no worries. But that's what you find in people that have traveled the, the way we do. And, and you can't have a plan. I didn't plan to sleep on this cot last night. Yeah. I, I, and I didn't know. I did get out here earlier than, than planned. I had to change. I did have a vacation plan to come out here, but no with vac- work, it's always last minute. You're and, on it now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I recently really had a, had a, I was really struggling. Um, this job I love, I love it. Um, but I got no personal life. I'm, I'm on the road for them. I'm on their schedule. I, all the, everything I'm shooting is on the weekends. I get home 2am Monday morning and then, and then all of a sudden 9am the work world is working up asking for all these photos that I took. And I'm like, I haven't slept in four days and I just got home two in the morning and you want all this stuff. And, 
it never shuts off. So, um, and I never take a vacation. I honestly can you take say, work vacations. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I've never in my life planned a real vacation. I've been to some beautiful fucking places, but it's always, uh, whether it's friends like, Hey, I'm going to ride to California. Oh, cool. I'll hop on that trip or I'm going here. It's just, you just go with it. And that's always been fun. Um, so recently I was like, I gotta, I need time off, but what's a vacation look like for me? Like, I go to beautiful places all, and I'm at, I'm there at the most beautiful times of day, sunset, sun, sunrise. Um, this last shoot in Utah, like the places we were, were just so they're mind blowing. Um, so what, what's a vacation for me? Do I do, I fly, do a bunch of layovers to get somewhere. And then like, uh, what do I, what's, what do I do? Like, I, then I started to find that like, man, maybe it's best. I just sit up on a mountain somewhere or, uh, just have a view and just not even think about it. Cause if I stay home, cause I'm never home, I walk out my bedroom door and there's 20 projects staring at me in the face. And then I just, anxiety just starts crawling up from my stomach and into my head. And, um, so this has been wonderful. I had no plan. Uh, Jenny is in Jenny and Justin are in town. Justin got in last night, apparently. Uh, um, but no plan ended up sleeping outside last night in Joshua tree on a swing, the most amazing view. And most, most people would be like, I have to sleep in a hotel. Or I have to sleep in a bed or a comp, you know, like I was like, fuck, give me that. Yeah. I'm going to sleep. Right. It was 40 degrees. And which this, is cold it's, to be outdoors. Cold. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't really prepared. I have all my cold weather stuff. I left it in Salt Lake mm-hmm. and, uh, cause I was like, oh, I'm going to the desert. It'll be fine. <laughs> and it, oh, so that's how we got on this. Like I'm feeling everyone. Like I went into the coffee shop, uh, before coming up the road here and that everyone's talking about, oh, finally it's like cooling, it's cooling down. down. Yeah. And, uh, for us in Milwaukee, we're like, fuck no, damn, it's getting cold. We're in for it now. Like we're not going to see the sun for another six months. And you got to get a place out here, dude. You've got to get a place I've been, out here. I've always loved the energy of this place and, um, but I have dreamed of it. Like, you, you know, how people go to a mount, they live on a mountain to be a skier. Right. Yeah. If you want to be a skier, yeah, I'm just, I'm sorry. You can't, you just have to make the sacrifice to live on a mountain. You want to be a surfer, you got to live by the ocean. Dude, if you really want to ride bikes in the places that are life changing, this is it. I know. This is it because it's two, I can go from two lane roads from here to Denver if I wanted to and not even have to go through a big city. Mm hmm. And, that, and that's just the whole of the West. You want to go to Utah? Dude, I got the road to get there from here. And, and once we get there, it even just gets better. So I don't see how you live in Mil- I mean, you do have to because your your job's incredible and you got to roll with that as long as you can. But Well, I you know, you, your heart is kind of – I feel like there, you always have a place in your heart for the area you grew up in the place you grew up in I grew up in northern Illinois not far from Milwaukee um it was an easy move for me actually Milwaukee the city always loved it and I, the reason why I moved there is because um just I've, 
the, the experiences I've, I've had in that city, um, were always so good. And the grit of the city, the industrial side of it, um, the fact that all the old buildings are still standing. It, that is awesome. Yeah. When like in the sixties and seventies, I think that that city was just so poor. They just didn't knock them down and put up these yeah. stupid cheap looking buildings. And so all those structures still stand and now they're, they're making use of them in a really beautiful way. That's um, the charm of, of it. And the lake. I mean, yeah. I'm, I live, I have a property three blocks off the lake that uh, it's funny to talking to people in California and just slide in. Like, this is how much I paid for it. And they're like, what dude? Um, that's and, and down... that's all going up. So I got in a good spot where I'm in, in my live situation, uh, two buildings, one is income. It's just the perfect situation. And it's not a house. It's a building that I've created a house out of, you know, I live there. I work there. I have all my shit there. I can lock the door. It's secure. And then it's perfect for a guy like you. Yeah. You need a, you, you need a, a workshop. Yeah. My problem is like, I bought that building to have the shop, but because I'm gone so often, I don't have the shop built out the way I want it to be built out. That's overwhelming. That's in, dude, I know what you're facing with that. Cause we did that every time I've moved cities, I've had to rebuild a shop. And even though, even though I'm, I'm in a good financial spot, like I've just never, I can't borrow money. I just can't do it. Like I got to have the cash to do it as the cash comes along and I do it myself. Like, yeah. I, I'm such a perfectionist. If, if I hire somebody to do something, I know I'm not going to be happy with it because I'm going to see these little imperfections. And in the long run, like if you, if you just finish the project, all those things get buried and you don't even see them anyway. But like, I, you know, the I old saying, stuck. if you want something done at our, at our point in life, you have to do it yourself. Yeah. You just, I, everything doing everything. Um, it's been a tremendous amount of work, but, um, do you think you would ever, if you may, if you, Let's say you became the most expensive, hardest working, most desirable photographer in the world and money was no longer an issue. That's just not I know, I know. I'm not even gonna go there. Let's try and entertain that. If you if you got there and money was no longer an issue. Okay, you're Anna, Annie Leibowitz all of a sudden. You're shooting celebrities and being flown all over the world to do uh, I don't even know if Vanity Fair pays photographers anymore. Probably not. But whatever. You're doing these cover shots. Would you take that money and pay someone to build you a bike? No. I know. Me neither. Never. Like, and that's a curse, dude. Because I don't particularly... I wish I was someone that could do that. And be like... But he, that's the point. Of, that's always been the point of building a chopper in my opinion is it's your art it's true it's, yeah it needs totally. to, it needs to come from your soul it it needs i mean like i said my bike i've been riding since day one and i never have, i haven't even completed it it like got i got it to a point where it would run i'm like i'll see what rubs and what what's uh what were needs. you ever planning on painting it yeah or was it all, you were yeah because it's just become iconic as a steel weapon yeah it in I, I never my third weld is on the motor mount of that bike that's like, crazy um, how's it look well it's all ground down but oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you know what I, I did start to surprise myself with 
with some of the welds. And um, really the idea of that was I had this long front end and this frame and I guess I'm building a seventies long chopper. So seventies long choppers were a lot of times they were molded and, um, but I didn't want to fill it with Bondo. I'd worked with a lot of Bondo before on my gross. first vehicle. Yeah. And I was like, I just don't want to fill it with Bondo. So, um, I did it all in steel with the intention of skim coating it with Bondo. So the, it wasn't perfect. I didn't make it perfect because it was going to be finished off with paint and filler and, um, but I didn't want it to crack. So I did it that way. And then man, and even the exact, like I had all, I have, my vision was, was far more detailed than what it is. And I borrowed a set of pipes from a friend just to throw them on just so I could start it and hear it run. Those pipes are still on. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. um, they got a ton of scars and, um, I call it three quarter syndrome. You get three quarters <laughs> that, of the way there. That's you're my like, life. Fuck it. That, I'm riding it. <laughs> that's everything I've ever done, which sucks. But, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's a weird thing where I always, and back then it, it was going to be golds and browns and, you know, you, you, things go in waves where, um, there was that wave of that, mm-hmm. uh, where everyone was using those colors, but now it's like pink you know, and yeah. And lavender. Yeah. And, yeah. And with my knucklehead, that's where I was going to go. Um, Oh, going back to the knucklehead. Here we go. <laughs> uh, after all these years and that knucklehead was available to me. Um, I'm like, do I really need this fucking thing? Like it's, it's still, you know, I, I got it for cheap. Like, I, I mean, it wasn't cheap, but it, $10,000. Oh, that's cheap, dude. That's that yeah. that is the deal you get from the older guys who are concerned about where their shit goes. Yes. They're like, "I know you can afford this." Yes. It's way less than what I could get for it, but I know you're going to do that something. That was the it. most money I ever had in my hand and handed off. That's like, a lot of money. But I've I never had done that. The the only reason was I had a I had a 51 Dodge. Um I just got into this mode. I just, I just got to get the shit out of my life. Yeah. Uh, and they're all projects. So that was stressed to me. Every time I looked at it, it's like, it needs all this work. I just got to get rid of it. And then I sold two, two iron heads, two bikes, um, and, and a truck, like a new truck, a newer truck that I had. Um, you were cash rich in that moment for a second. Yeah. And I didn't want to just throw it in the bank right away. And he hit me up right in that moment. I'm like, meant to be i have this cash in my hand but do i really need this thing i've ridden i've been riding this 700 dollars iron (laughs) head my entire (laughs) life and it's gotten me everywhere i needed to go and do i need this thing and now it's a whole different class of people that have have these bikes i feel yeah because back back you know i remember running into dan carr dc choppers call him bacon he's from canada he was this he's my age and back then i mean this was 2008 yeah 2008 i met him in sturgis and he was on his on a knucklehead and it was a 38 knucklehead and he had ridden it from one end of the u.s to the other and back to sturgis and then was going back to canada ontario um and he had a crack forming right along the like near the number boss across the top and it was like as it was running it would like 
be pumping out a little, like it would be seeping. You could see it seep oil as that's stressful. <clears throat> and he's like, well, see if I make it back, you know, yeah. but he was young. He had that knucklehead and he just built it from piece by piece. And back then, like it was still like, it was obtainable. And the people that had them were a different type of pe- person. Mm-hmm. Now it's, there's a lot of money involved in the people that have, the only way that you can have them is you have to be, of some sort of status. It's a privilege. It is a, it is a privilege to have one of those now. And, and now it's like, okay, if I get on this bike, now I kind of feel like a douchebag. No, no. <laughs> I'm more happy riding my iron head. Because it's honest, man. Yeah. It's honest. But and it's I, such a beautiful motor. It's a hodgepodge of a lot of different things, but it's and it's all old chrome. It's got the the early cam cover, the flat cam cover, the rocker boxes are are chrome. Um, I a friend of mine picked up a knucklehead, and uh, it's a it's an original forty seven frame that had been chromed back in the day. He's got Whoa! A photo of like this, <sighs> it's like Mexican or African. He's Mexican, but he's got a shotgun sitting on the bike with Dude. a chrome frame. I love uh, the chrome frame. But going back to the pink, I was like, I've always, man, I've always loved like a silky pink color. I always have. Well, now Jason. Jason comes in. Now everyone's like, wants to. Yeah, you know. I know. Yeah, he took pink to a <laughs> yeah. whole nother level of like uh, of popularity. You know, Berrigan was the first one I knew of personally to do like a really like feminine color pink. That bike is awesome. Yeah. It was, I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, that was a while ago, too. But uh, but now I'm like, I can't. I got a knucklehead that I'm like, do I really need this knucklehead? And I was like seeing pink. And then like all of a sudden, every bike is pink. And I know. Like, now I can't do that. And then going back to the Ironhead, um, there was an era where everything was like golds and browns. And I'm like, okay, well, it's not getting painted. So now, but to keep up with that bare steel especially up in wisconsin dude if you just leave it in your garage it's gonna i've always wondered how you do that especially when you were riding around on the salt dude yeah you know what um what i every time i change the oil i take that vat of oil and i take a scotch bright pad and i just that's what you do so it's so impregnated with oil now that uh i can't paint it i'd have to i'd have to put it in an oven or yeah. uh, to rid it of all that all that petroleum. But um, I was thinking, my plan, because it sucks to have to keep up with that, you, you know, every six months or whatever. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, there was a period of time I just, it was just rust. Um, and I let it go that way. It was and then dirty. you got it, then you got to work hard to get it back. Well, you know what it was? It was um, that museum exhibit because they, they put my bike in the Harley Museum. Like, oh, and you couldn't clean it. No, I did. I was like, well, I can't. It would look like the biggest pile of shit. Oh, just like if it, it was rusty. sitting in the museum. <laughs> I mean, it was dirty. It was filthy. And I had just ridden through the salt flats. Um, and so I pretty much took that bike all the way down and, and just. And, you would have to. Yeah. And it, for the museum, because when you open the doors to the museum, it was front and center. And then they had like a billboard size. Um photo of mine be sitting behind it it was the like this that's my favorite image that i've taken because which, which, of what, the was what, what was that um it? it 
was taken in 2009. We were on the ride around the lake, and we got lost and ended up hitting this dead-end road right into the lake, and it was sunset. Oh. And all the bikes are parked. It's silhouette. Yeah, and, I've seen that one. Yeah, so bikes are, choppers are parked, This and and then there's just, and, you know, I know the shapes of the people just because they're so close to me, but, and it's Brian's there, smoke, like, you just see a silhouette of him smoking a cigarette, taking in the sunset. I didn't know that that was on the lake. I always thought that that was out here in California, like, over nope. the ocean. So, that's the beauty of, like, Michigan, like, living next to it, like... I, I walk three blocks and it's like, it's, it feels like I'm in the middle of nowhere on the ocean. It's a, it's a sea. Like yeah. it's, it's huge. But, um, yeah, that image is always stuck with me as one of my favorite based on the moment it was. That was a, that was a great image. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, so yeah. So I, I stripped that bike down and cleaned it and I've kept it pretty clean ever since. Um, but you know that's just that's what you do with a bike if you're gonna maintain it. And everyone always asks, like, how, how do you ride a fucking Ironhead from coast to coast and back and forth and not have it? Just respect your motorcycle. Yeah, listen you see to people it. doing burnouts and <laughs> we, Ryan wheelies and uh, you know, like I love Ryan to Snake death. too. It, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like, but you know, he Ryan to have it fixed and. 30 minutes or an hour yeah you know? he he does that and he he handles it but for me it's always been like i'm this is my vehicle to take me everywhere in life so i'm gonna respect this machine yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna love it i'm gonna keep my eye on it um and i don't know i just never had issues with it i just had this conversation with mark kirkland and when i say like you're the only other dude. There are a couple, and I don't know if yeah, you met Mark. I don't think I've met him in I, person. I met him in person finally. He was on a trip from up uh, like Tacoma, yeah. Seattle area, and went rode down through Oakland. Yeah, yeah, he went to Oakland because I, I was here. at. I, I stopped by Max, and uh, I think he had just gone by Max's place. Yeah, this would have been the same trip, and I got a I got a text from him saying, "Hey, I'm at the Valero on Highway 247." I'm like, "No fucking way! You're right by my house," and we'd never met. Yeah. I was like, "Come down here," but he was on his panhead, and we were talking, and, and he's like, "Dude, I haven't had a single problem. It's just like sewing machine the whole way." Yeah. But he, and and he said he's like, "But I really respect this bike, and I don't." I'm guilty of going the other, like I, out here. I ride them like fucking dirt bikes. Yeah. And well, there's moments. Yeah. My first time out in Sturgis when I got that, it was 2009. I got, I was the first time I was out there and I had my own bike. Yeah. I was like, I built it. I'll fix it. I know every piece of this bike every morning. I was like hung over as fuck, like sleeping on the dirt out there. This was, broken spoke county line now it's full throttle okay but back then like there wasn't a tree there was no shade <laughs> rattlesnakes everywhere oh, God. and like by the time you went to sleep it was it was like four in the morning and then the sun was coming up at five and you were so baked out of your tent that you hung the fuck sleep. over and i'd walk up to my bike and be like fuck look at all this shit I broke last night <laughs> I remember sliding it across the pavement my knee was all tore up and it got infected because you're not you're just in the dirt yeah what are you gonna do yeah. just rub dirt on it riding home uh got caught in a rainstorm and uh and that scab like because we were riding in the rain and powered through my pants got wet 
we got to the next gas station. This scab had formed on the outside of my pants. Oh my god! And I was like, oh fuck! And then you, you, you just got to get break off the it. bike, and you're like, your pants are all like stuck to your leg, and you just yeah, you had to rip it off. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, that was a learning experience because I I was being really disrespectful and not thoughtful of my machine but you were having fun having a hell of a lot of fun you were having fun i will say this if i'm on a trip i really respect my bike because i don't want anything catastrophic to happen yeah when i'm on the road i don't want to have to like call in that favor hunt for that shop yep i've been in that position so many times that like if i even get the feeling that like the the intuition and it's funny do you have that when you have the intuition that like all right, there's there's a little something in, in balance here. Mm-hmm. I know I've got to figure this out before I mm-hmm. do the next fifteen hundred miles. I just had, I've, dude. I've had three blowouts in the last year. Gone down twice. Um, rear tire, two rears and one front. Dude, the but the front, the front happened me. in. So that's why I brought it up. Like, because I'd already had the two rears. Um, and it's partially, I think, my fault. I think just running my tire pressure too low because it's just such a skinny tire. And It helps. Um, yeah, it helps for cushion. But then I think I I think I think slipped the the bead, maybe slipped, and then ripped the stem. stem. Yeah. Um, but also the other one was, one had to do with, I had somebody on the back. We went down at 60 miles an hour. <gasps> like immediate. Like it, when it went, we were down. I slid. Are you serious? Uh, it was. I had no time to think. We were, we were talking about that earlier. Yeah. Like thinking about situations and how to handle it, but you do learn. And um, and I I had this intuition because we were on all these curvy roads, and this was a girl that um, she had her own bike, and just got it. We were at this big event, and we were all going to go for a ride at sunset she went to take off and slid out in the grass, literally like five feet slid out. There was a whole crowd of people around and she was really embarrassed. Yeah. And I would just was like, pulled up, Hey, get on. Let's, I'm going to get you out of here. Don't think about it. Like every, it happens to everybody. Yeah. Hop on, let's go. And uh, let's just not think about it. Yeah. We're on this really curvy road. And in the back of my head, I'm like, okay, uh, I'm kind of worried about my, tire right now because i have all this extra weight on the back and we got to the gas station which would have been a great time to just check the tire pressure (laughs) and you did think about it thought about it yeah and i was like let's just take the straight road back because there was like a direct route back to the campsite and we're just humming along 60 miles an hour and boom it goes and down immediately i'm under the bike sliding and uh it was such a crazy thing because when we hit, she was gone. She like, I didn't see her anywhere, but, um, it was dusk. I'm, I just been looking at, see who, what's going to run me over. From sure. The front. Yeah. Yeah. But there was also two guys riding from behind. And so front was clear. I look back, there's a trail of sparks as far as I can see. And two headlights, whoom, like right past me on either side. Okay. Those dudes were like trying to not hit me. Yeah. And, I was literally stuck under the bike sliding on my ass and I came to a stop. The headlight was still on and all I just, there was this eerie silence and this black, like these black puffy clouds floating past me down the road. 
I was like, what the fuck was that? It's like, oh, that's my, that's the cotton from my black jeans <laughs> floating down the road. I'm like, there's no way I have an ass left. I yeah. I literally slid for a thousand yards Holy, a hundred yards. Holy sorry. fuck. Uh, cause I walked, I walked it back and there was this other skid mark. I was like, Where, what's that? And when they turned around, the one dude almost went into the ditch cause he, he almost ran up. her over and went between me and her. And then she come running up. I was like, she's dead. Cause it was like, Oh uh, Jesus. I didn't see her. There was this like really gnarly drop off into the ditch and really big tall pines. And yeah. like a, a gnarly like Creek river with boulders she come running up out of there. Like bloody face. She hit her face on the back of my helmet <laughs> and, uh, and just, she rolled. So she had road rash all over. Her. Yeah. But I got up and like I had this little hole in my jeans and uh, I had like this um, I guess a silver dollar size. That's just, not bad. Uh, well, I, I was like, how did how did I get away so clean? And I was sliding on my wallet and and I had a handkerchief in my other pocket. So somehow those just a little bit of padding. Those two things, uh, and yeah, tore up my arm. But um, um, but just months before that, same thing. Um, we were doing the ride around the lake and you get caught behind a line of cars and um, so you're stuck. You're like, fuck. And then it opens up to a passing lane. It's passing this line of cars, full throttle. We're all just booking. And I don't know if the expansion of the tire, because I had just put a new chain on, maybe hit the fender and then rubbed the bead or yeah. I don't know what happened, but like it went and I knew it went. And I just kept it full pin because I had I was beside cars and I was like, oh, oh just Jesus. keep my centrifugal force up, keep my yeah. and just got in front of them and then started to try to slow down and it just started boom, the ass end just yeah. this way that way this way that way and there's I I got a I got a video of the the tire mark and it's pretty unreal to look at it and then finally got it down to about thirty before I went down. Whoa! And and Jason had given me one of those those hammers, and my my rim was just bent to shit, and I'm just beating the shit out of the the rim, and it's probably straighter now than it ever had been, um, <laughs> with a knucklehead hammer. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this this old timer stopped. He saw the whole thing, and he was more freaked. I was like, "Fuck yeah!" Like, yeah. I didn't die. I'm alive. I don't even have a mark on me. Yeah. I don't even know how that happened. And he's like, all right, let's get it in the back of my truck. We'll, we'll get it to the next get. I was like, Hey man, I got an inner tube. I'm, I'm good. He's like, are you sure? And I'm like, no man, I'm good. And we had that thing back on the road in 30 minutes. That's amazing. And then in Tennessee, I was riding it the next day. I had to find an inner tube, but, and like when that bike goes down, it always like the peg flips up, it rides on the back of the peg and the rear axle. Like so you actually have like a skid plate. Yeah. If it it's rolls Somehow over. it just, cause I've been down on that bike a numerous amount of times, <laughs> mostly fucking around. And, but when that tire went and I mean, I get it with your, if you're passing cars, that's extremely dangerous, but what's your technique for controlling that at that point? Well, I remember I hit a nail and Jenny, Jenny was visiting me in, Milwaukee. She was taking sailing lessons because her and Justin were gonna go I live remember on a that. boat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and she was gonna learn on the lake. Uh, she was riding my Dyna. I came around a turn and I hit a nail, and my rear tire went. And it, my because that bike is so skinny and long, and um, 
the ass end came and it was around a turn. The ass end came around almost. I just felt like it was going to go all the way around. It came back the other way. And I didn't, not thinking, I, it just went into autopilot. I cranked the throttle and was feathering the clutch. Okay. So this centrifugal force, centrifugal force of the motor keeping you upright and you were controlling the slide. Yeah. And I had both my feet down at that point. And, and when I came to a stop, I was like, why is my motor screaming? Why is my motor screaming? You're pinned. And, and I was like, let it off. I was like, Oh fuck. Like that was a smart move. Not even thinking. You wouldn't think to do that. I I feel like that's very counterintuitive. Yeah. And it kept me up. Like I didn't go down. Um, I got two flat tires in one night, one time riding through the desert. And I think it was just the heat. Yeah. I think it was just the heat was it. The tires got so hot that the the valve stem would just get too thin and crack. And, and, uh, yeah, it was July going basically from here to Phoenix at night. I was still going at night, but like put one inner tube in. Or the inner tube that I was riding, tire was totally fine when I left. First flat happened, and dude, I was... It's scary. I was like two lanes. Yeah. I was moving across two lanes, and there was a woman behind me who pulled over. I didn't go down. She pulled over, and and she was like, are you okay? I thought you were going to crash. And I'm like, no, no, no. My tire went flat. And she's like, okay. And... uh I was close to an off-ramp in a gas station, and, and I had an inner tube with me, so I put the bike up and, and put a new, brand-new tube out of the box on the bike, right? So it's like, it's totally good. I checked the spokes, the rim yes. strip. Didn't any burrs or anything? Yeah. Nothing that I could see. And then I took off again, and I kind of had PTSD, right, mm-hmm. at this point, because I'm like, fuck, that, it shook me up so badly. And I'm riding along, and I feel a little thing. And I'm like, that can't be happening again. And, and But because I was so concerned, I think I was riding in a way that I was ready for anything. And when that fucker went again, I was like, oh, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I stayed up, and, and at that point, I was just like, well, I'm staying here tonight. Man, I have so many flat tire stories. Um, but I the whole reason I think we got on this is we were talking about intuition. And yeah. so I had those two rears blow out, and uh, just recently – I got on the interstate. I just don't, again, like you're saying, like the trust isn't there. Yeah. And I'm like, anytime I feel a little, um, uh, a little something wander on me a little bit and you get a groove in the road, you're like, is that my fucking dog? Yeah. Um, it's, it's trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And I was getting ready to go over the Hone Bridge in Milwaukee and you know, it's three lanes wide and people are hauling ass. And once you're on the bridge, you're on the bridge, you're stuck, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's the worst place to think about. Oh. Yeah. So I was approaching it and I just had a really bad feeling. I was okay. like, something does not, I I'm getting off. I took the exit. <clears throat> I got to the stoplight right, where I, I went through, I went through town. I came up to a stoplight and it, and my front tire, I went to take off. My front tire was flat. Whoa. And like that front, like I said, that front end is so skinny. It's, it's like, you can't find a tire that won't rub on the insides of the legs. So that being that that rim is so tiny with the long front end and that tiny little tire, when it goes, I can't even, I've never knock on wood, um, never had one go at speed, but, uh, if it did, I can't, there's, there's nothing you could do. Like 
with a rear, at least you can put lay a it foot down. down or yeah, you or can lay, yeah, you can lay it down. But I, with the front, you're just, it's going to wash out and your face first into the pavement. It's know? like when you're on a dirt bike, you know, and you're, you dip, you know, when you ride dirt bikes in the sand, it's a different feeling. You really have to knife the front tire into the sand yeah. to, and it slides for a second and then it hooks up and the rest of the bike comes around. It's, it takes a minute to get used to that. It's very different than riding in mud or something like that. But um, at least you have a minute to think about it when you're losing the front end. If you lose a front end on concrete with metal, there is nothing you can do. Nothing. There is nothing you can do. Oh, man. Just thinking of friends and memories and just different things like being riding next. I've had... I've had a number of people lose their tire riding right next to him and there's nothing you can do. You see it happening and like all you can do is speed up and just get yeah, out of the way. Get out of the way. Cause like, and one of them was Troy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we we're going, we we're around a turn. We we're probably about 65 and he's right next to me. We're around a right-hand turn, and there's a semi coming at us. And oh, I just God. remember seeing the semi driver's eyes oh, get really big for some reason. Like, I, it's so vivid in my head. And then I look to my right, and I see him coming at me, and his ass ends coming around. And the truck passes. Oh. I get out of the way, and I'm just like, at that point, I'm in the clear from him. I'm looking back. His eyes are big, and his both of his feet are down. And, and the road straightened out and he got it over the side of the road. He, he got off the bike. His, his soles of his boots were literally smoking. Yeah. You could see the smoke coming off of him. People, if you're listening to us, ride with boots. This is why you ride with tough ass boots, man. Oh yeah. So he kept it up in that one. Yeah. And it was a front. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. But he kept the tire on it then obviously yeah. the tire didn't it was on it. Didn't yeah. de-sleeve yet. And he had those uh what invade was it in- Yeah, yeah. invaders yeah. time. Um and then F- <laughs> my friend Fowler. I have more miles riding next to him than anyone. He's I just, love Fowler so. He's got the fuck, best energy of Fowler. anybody <laughs> Oh, you <laughs> I'm sure you got uh, Now's your time. Yeah. If you want to get yeah, even I love with the dude. I always love the dude, but goddamn like um but I've been, he, I've never seen somebody crash so hard so many times and just pop up. Like nothing never happened. We were leaving LA. We were almost to Las Vegas and he had his rear blowout on the interstate. And I saw it happening on the interstate, on the interstate. And I rode up next. I was like, Hey, t- like, how do you signal? You know? Like, oh yeah. You either you're pointing down you're like, trying to say kill it kill it or get and like he's like wait what looking down looking down all of a sudden the ass and just starts oh, doing this such a helpless feeling <laughs> and he's off in the like in the ditch and out there it's like shrub and cactus and boulders yeah and fuck he, he hit he finally like the front end kind of hit a, a rock and then he went he high-sided okay and just pops up i have a photo of it too he's just pissed and and throwing his helmet across the interstate as a truck's coming by. Um, but man, I've, and another time where, a uh, a hay truck from a horse farm pulled out in front of us and he took a, like, it was a, like he went into this ravine. Holy shit. Just pops up. Like nothing ever happened. Dude, I have friends like that and they're all skateboarders. Skate, he's a skater. Dude, yeah. they're to, like the, the, the most death 
certain circumstances and they pop up like, oh, oh yeah. Yeah, that was crazy, right? <laughs> it's like, dude, you oh. should be dead. And it's always on that sport. It's like been riding that same Evo Sportster for all those years. I've pushed him. Speaking of riding to Phoenix and you leave at night because like it's, only it's so fucking hot. Yeah. And that was, this was a trip, my most epic trip. And it, and we land when we landed in LA, we landed at the Chun. And this is this is kind of how I made more of a personal connection with you, I think. Um, oh, was this born free? Born free. Okay. You had the Chun party. We had already been on a rager for uh two probably longer than two weeks because we would leave from Chicago, we would get to Denver, we had a good friend there, and we just we just uh party there for half, you know, like five days or whatever. And, but I had to do a job up in Washington. So I split, I rode by myself up, um, through, through Utah, through Idaho, up into wash Portland. And That's a long solo trip. Yeah. And it was, it was amazing. I just I was doing thousand mile days Yeah, and, uh, just to get there. Cause what I were split. you on? I was actually, I was on my Dyna at that time. Yeah. But I've, I remember that. But you pulled in at the same time with everyone else, so you must have. Yeah, so that's you must have saying. done the job did and that come down and had such an amazing time up there. Met some amazing people. Came down the three ninety five, which blew oh, that's my mind. The best highway. Met the dudes were literally rolling into Lake Tahoe as I was rolling into Lake Tahoe, bro. It couldn't have like, epic. And I made a stop along the way, like in Reno somewhere. Epic. See a friend. Uh, and rolled in right at the same time and then continued the journey to LA and we rolled right into the shop party. Yeah. And you got there early. I remember, I remember you guys, I, I don't, for, I forget who called and say, Hey, we're coming in. Can we use the shop? I'm like, yeah, perfect. Cause like you're here early yeah. and just bring them on in. And after all of like, that was just a rager the whole way across the U S dude, like, there was like we 20 so of hard. you. Yeah. That's the thing. When we would leave Chicago, that era of time, it, there was a lot And that trip. I specifically remember go, riding. There was, there was 18 of us. We rode in a tight pack all the way from Chicago to Denver in a tight pack, never once did anyone have an issue. That's amazing. That's how dialed we had gotten over the years. I miss um, those trips. And then I split off, did that, and met him back up, landed at the Chun, and partied our asses off. That was such a fun night. On the dirty-ass couches, on yep. the floor. With the dogs. We were sprawled out all over the Chun that the next morning. Awesome. And I think, yeah, and that's when like you came out, and you're like... Damn, you got, you know, like it was a connection. You yeah. Know, like you're, we, we could feel that real connection. That's right, man. That and then, was actually the first time I think I ever met, like actually met you. Yeah. And then <clears throat> that trip, like that's what split the whole group up because we had so much fun in LA. Like three of the dudes met a girl and they fell in love and they like, everyone went a different way home. Like we and some people stayed and never left. They're still here. That's hilarious. And that's why I actually am here. Um, because finally we're all, I think it's kind of, it's a surprise and I don't know when this is, this won't be out. No, it won't surprise. be. Yeah. Oh, so this is the reunion surprise reunion. Yeah. That's so we, so cool. yeah. And you know, the, 
when it started, it was all about building motorcycles and having a place to do it. Then the bar was established, the built in the corner, and then it was the party spot. And then it started to change. And then it was like everyone lost their girlfriend on the same weekend. And then it was like, <laughs> oh, let's do as much crazy shit and things and chase things all over this continent and uh it just got too intense and people started to i think just rub each other you know and like we all love each other but they're like coming back to la because now most of them are here and i'm pretty neutral like i don't play into to drama and bullshit and all that i'm like dude i just want to come back here and i want to hang out with my friends i don't want to have to like go over here and hang out with you because you can't hang out with him yeah i know that drives me crazy it's like come on guys just just let it go. Nothing really turns men into children like motorcycles. <laughs> and and that's what makes them so fucking fun and so frustrating oh. at the same time is grown ass men become children again. Because let's face it, it's like us riding around on our bicycles again when we were, you know, yeah. in, in in grade school and you're just exploring the neighborhood, except now it's the whole fucking country. Yeah. And you're just, uh, you know, you're looking for the next kick. <laughs> but, uh, so when, when those lines start to get drawn, it's kind of like, come on, guys. Yeah. And here we go. Fuck Fowler. Like the last time I finally got them all together, we were at Fowler's house and every, it was like a beautiful night grilling and everyone was together and everyone let down all their bullshit. And, how, and then Fowler blew it. Did he blow up on somebody? Uh, he just, you know, he just like has no off switch. It's like tequila. He, the dude's the most loving, best human being sober and then he just starts drinking and it's fun and then it's all of a sudden it's not fun because it's like it's <laughs> no, just no too Bowser, much yeah no Bowser. <laughs> he, you know he has that punk rock like part of him that's like i want to fuck shit up you know yeah, like yeah. you know i'm like come on man i love you but you're making it hard we're we're you you get a little older and that gets a little bit yeah. harder to like yep. exactly like, Dude, I don't and know. everybody's kind of moved on they have like different things going on and passions and uh, businesses and families. And we had a, it was the first friend out of the group that passed away, you know? And I don't know how we made it all those watching Fowler crash the way he did all those times, like skateboarding. Yeah. But like, how did we all make it through it the way we did? Um, And this was just a natural and I don't even know what the end result or cause was, but friend, he, he was a train engineer, you know? And, um, where he was the one that kind of like committed to like doing a job. So he wasn't at on all the rides, but he was, he was the, one of the originals, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, and, um, but you know, did every, he was about to retire and then boom, one day hit the floor. So we all was made it like it. a heart thing or I think so. Yeah. Oh man. Or they're saying he was on a dirt bike and hit his head and, and, uh, um, or, or no, he, something about hitting his head and he would just, was riding dirt bikes all that day and got home and just hit the floor. So, so it could have been a concussion, yeah. but his heart failed ultimately. Yeah, I don't, I, I'd never, I never heard the end at the end. That's cause. so sad. But, um, but we were all together and, and we're like, man, why don't we do this more often? Yeah. So, yeah. A good friend of ours, 40th birthday, uh, his wife got a big airbnb out here and we're gonna surprise them fucking perfect man it's gonna be so much fun to have everybody back together because you're gonna have that guy in tears oh yeah 
because he doesn't know what's coming guy but uh (laughs) he probably will you know or he'll just be like what the fuck like he doesn't want anybody to ever uh you know go out of their way for him yeah yeah that's gonna be more the the he's gonna feel very loved but going i guess that whole trip yeah i went to chun and then we it was just me and fowser all those people like 18 people went different directions home mostly like by themselves or in little like two people groups went different ways yeah and we were gonna go through phoenix and uh he i think oh his battery terminal broke off and we were in it was it was like two in the morning middle of the desert i just and he knew like he electrical just, immediately he just would throw it into neutral i'd put my foot on his peg and i pushed him on that trip for over it was 130 miles oh calculated my god in three different stretches that is oh and my god i have so we did meet up with another friend he's got video and i was on my dyna and i just that's just i'd gotten so good at it and uh 90 miles an hour i was pushing him there's a video of the speedometer and me pushing him passing semis 90 miles an hour that is unreal dude <laughs> and i have photos that i've taken with my camera with while the, pushing while him. pushing him um we were just so close that trust it's yeah that trust and he'd just turn off his his bike wouldn't be running it would be in neutral just pushing him 90 miles an hour from for, for uh, 130 miles in total Dude, you pushed him from here past los angeles <laughs> <laughs> to put it into perspective i because I, I lock my throttle when i shoot so my throttle is always locked yeah so what i do is i just i put my foot on on uh with him i think maybe it was even the back of the primary but i i hold on to his sissy bar with my right hand and push with my foot so i hold the bike right where it needs to be yeah and push and the throttle's locked and i don't even have my hand on the throttle we're just booking that that to have that down is really handy because every time you go to push a new person's bike, there's always this kind of like, like yeah, yeah. And this, like I've, I've oh even when you even when you're doing it with like I've had to do it with a car you know when somebody's mag starts going and and you can't kick it and you've got to be like like the that was a couple months ago but Max was out here and we were shooting the knucklehead this 36 that he built and the mag was going out on it and i'd have to drag him with the truck you know but he's hanging on to the passenger window oh and i'm like gonna, this it's is like you feel like he's gonna get sucked i know the truck. It, it's i'm like this is more awkward than doing it on a motorcycle because yeah, at absolutely. least you can see what's yeah. going on over there and it's, it can be such an awkward feeling well speaking of mags and pushing like that's that whole scene in 21 days like that was a magical scene we had got, I don't, I hadn't been to the salt flats at that point. So when we got there, it was flooded. Yeah. And, but there was that patch out there that you could see that wasn't. And we're mm-hmm. like, if we could just get out there, we could open up our bikes and just see, you know, you just want to do that. You yeah. Have salt flats. You want to just open them up. So we start, Troy goes out there and seeing how deep it was kind of cruising around. We're like, oh, it's not really that deep. So we, we got out there and, uh, Troy's mag got wet. And he was dead in the water. Yeah. Literally dead in the water. And he's kicking and kicking. I'm like, well, because all, even on my iron head for years, like I just, that's everyone knew I was the pusher man. Yeah. You know, like, 
That's but, my job. Yeah. On the tow truck. Yeah. And I don't want to stop. Like, we're, what are we going to, like, if we can just get to the gas station, no one else will have to, we can get to a comfortable spot. Everyone can hang out, get, smoke a cigarette, get coffee, whatever. Um, so I tried bump starting them, pushing them bump start just to get enough spark and it wasn't happening. So we, it's just too wet. We pointed them towards land and going and I was pushing him and, and because his tire, was forward of mine it was and my front is long so both of yeah. us like that spray of the water it's coming straight into our eyes and face it's, and it into my carburetor yeah and oh, uh not good and got him got him to land and my my bike was running on one cylinder and you can hear it in the movie it's running on one cylinder and i'm trying to push him i can see you when you go down that last puddle and it's fucking deep. Yeah. And you come up and you're it's burning. Like you look up and hell. you're like, I can't see. Yeah. I, I couldn't and, see by you, that point. Yeah. You were just covered. <clears throat> I was just pushing them into the abyss. That's gnarly. And because that salt is like so concentrated. It's so it's it burnt. Dude, really. you don't even need to be in water for it to burn. Yeah. You just get it on your hands and you're out there. Um. But that, yeah, that was a magical. That was a magical fucking scene, dude. That probably made that movie. Yeah, honestly, I think. And Tom Fugel's footage. And Tom Fugel's footage. That was. Let's talk about that for a little bit. I just watched it again the other day with my friend Annabella, who were were arcing out, trying to arc out a screenplay for uh, Too Far Gone for the book, like something like that, to try and and do a little road story. Man, uh, it would be a good movie. Really good. Yeah. Um. Do you going back to watching it? I had only watched it because I didn't have a TV even back then. Yeah, uh, and then the way it was dropped and the way it all went about, like you know, it was it was a weird time when, um, you know, like we all knew each other, Troy and Ryan and uh, Jen, we all knew each other, but like we hadn't really ridden together. Yeah, and that kind of like I wasn't going back to the photo section, like those were my dudes in that exhibit. I did include a few of the photos with Troy and, and, and those guys. Um, but like, I was always so used to like, know, like knowing who I was riding with and knowing that you could, if uh, something catastrophic happened, it wasn't going to be a big deal. Like, we're just going to sort it out. You've been there, yeah. done that. So yeah. No, but, um, but, by the time that movie came out, I was just like, you know, because so many different things happened. Like it, all, it, it barely got made. Yeah, it was this close. Michael to not was made. going through a really rough time, and that trip, for as good as it looked, it wasn't. It wasn't all, you know. I know it wasn't. <laughs> Do you want to hear a funny story, like behind the scenes? Yeah. Okay, so I'm I'm riding across the exact same time you eyes are, but I'm just a little bit lower. I was in. Bonneville at the salt flats the week before you and I left because of that rainstorm that flooded it and we got out just in time um Ethan and I and then we rode uh from there to Salt Lake and then moved around Utah a little bit and then ultimately ended up in Denver and where you guys were coming through the plan was with Michael is like I was going to meet up with you in Nebraska so I was a little bit ahead at that point and um, I rode to my family's house and I was hanging out in Kansas and um, 
I couldn't hear from Michael. Like I couldn't get a hold of him. I couldn't get a hold of him. He I'm was like, a fucking mess. Yes, I'm hearing that. I hear that after the fact, and I'm like, dude, how long do I wait here before I go north? And if if I'm not gonna meet with those guys, like I kind of want to get, I kind of want to get going and go see some shit. And uh, and finally, Michael gets a hold of me, and he's like, dude, he's like you don't know how bad this is. <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know if we're going to make it. I don't know. I like some of the guys aren't talking to each other. Uh, I'm having a hard time getting everybody motivated. I, I think it was gonna... probably more. They weren't talking to him. That may be. <laughs> yeah, that may be. And he's like, I have, I don't know if I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to run out of money. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm like, fuck, that sounds bad. He goes, do not join the group. He's like, just don't do it. You're, you're not going to want to come to it. I'm like, fair enough, man. Like I, it's hard enough riding with new people sometimes, but yeah. let alone riding with an entire group where things are going bad. And, and I was feeling good about my bike, so I knew I wouldn't be like a hindrance on anything. But you know how it is. If you don't know, unless somebody tells you, like, come along for the ride, you maybe don't want to because yeah. you're like walking yeah, into yeah. something. Yeah. So when Michael said that, I was like, I'll see you in New York. Yeah. And, and so it was kind of a blessing that he... He yeah, it got it got pretty heavy, and it was mainly. Well, I mean, I think he was worrying about the financial part of it because, like, we get you know the deal was like he'd at least fill our gas tank. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, but people see that thing. It was on Netflix. It was on. I watched it on the plane. That's what I was getting to. Like, I never, I didn't watch it when it came out. Yeah, and then I was on a plane, and it was like, of course, on I'm the gonna back watch of the that. seat. Yeah, like, okay, I saw it at the premiere. Yeah. I think that was way after. Maybe I saw it on the way to the premiere or something on the plane. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, you're just so over it. You're so involved in it, and you're just so over it. And then, and then like, the money part came in with – not that there was a lot of money involved, but people see that, oh, it was on Netflix. You, you think it's a big deal, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you think, like, oh, how, what, are you getting royalties on that? And, no, we never got a – penny from any uh, in fact like that salt like it burned up one of my valves like you could you could hear it running on one cylinder it, it fired back up but like i mean you roached it i ro- yeah on that, I roached trip. that yeah that the heads on that had to be rebuilt and um and funny enough like actually it was like three years later i took apart my carburetor i fucking love sns super e carburetor me too dude and but this accelerator pump was hanging up um that little the shaft was like and i like oiled it up and like it worked but then i was like yeah i'll just take it apart there was there was salt in there it was caked in there that was like it was literally like a quarter of an inch thick a salt caked inside the accelerator pump that's incredible because gasoline is a hell of a solvent and if it couldn't take care of the salt after all that time it was caked in there. That's wild. Um, That's a chemistry experience, experiment. Yeah. It just It's crazy to, to think of, about all that salt getting into all those places. And, and I thought it would, you know, I was like, oh, I hosed it off. And, but even my front end, the, the biggest thing I worried about, because there's relief holes at the bottom of the springer just to let any water yeah, out. Yeah, so it doesn't be, rust. So it doesn't... Well, where I'm at, freeze. freeze and crack. The, yeah, yeah. Um, but forever, like this, like really bright orange uh, rust would be coming out of that hole. Oh, no. Yeah, it's all up in there. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's the price you pay for riding out there. I definitely. But you do. can't not do it. You can't. I I went through that with my frame because my frame's all raw metal. But have you heard of Penetrol? Yes. So I do the scratch Schaefer's. Yes. Citrol is the I. The, you can't buy it here in California. I have to have my like my sister or someone buy it back home and ship it to me. Really? Mm-hmm. But I rub it in with Scotch Brite, and that's how I yeah treat my frame. I don't know that that company has the best petroleum products, and they do. The only reason why I know about it is because my uncle used to to uh, be a a Painter? salesman. Uh, it was like one of those things where you'd go around and and uh and talk to different companies and convince them to buy the product and yeah. I just had some of it and like and that's like you would use it so sparingly. Like you'd just like, oh I'm gonna clean my bike and just spray it. But it would just it melts it off and That's how that's how I treat Penetrol because it's so hard for me to get here in California. Yeah. And I'm like I use it very like only when it gets bad, I like pull yeah. it out and clean it off, and then rubs rub it in with a, scr- a Scotch Brite. But it it works. Yeah, like a, it it lasts a year. Yeah, it's an um, it's an amazing product. Yeah, um, how did you feel about twenty one days um, when it was all said and done? It was all said and done. Um, now looking like the ride across was drooling for the personal aspect of it. Um, love those. And it made us all closer, yeah. even though there was times when it was, there was a lot of frustration, but the frustration was really coming out of the, um, Michael's end of it. And it, it just was, it was weird. He was, he was going through a hard time in life and also trying to finance this thing, which really, I mean, people, I think people would assume that it was a lot bigger production. It was just Michael with a camera. That's kind of what I want people to know. Yeah. When they watch that film, I want them to know what he went through and what you guys went through to make that. Because it is an illusion. If something's on Netflix and accessible and it looks like a a, a big motion picture thing, dude, mo- it's, it's amazing that movies ever fucking get made. And I can tell you firsthand that I've been trying to break into that world for years and years. And the the accessibility to money is it just isn't there if you're not important it's just not there yeah so you make these concessions and do it like michael does it with a van and your friends and you're sleeping in the most uncomfortable places and you're barely eating and you're on this deadline and you do it for the love of the game and you may make some money back if people find it compelling enough in the end but it's probably never going to cover the cost of what you went through to make it. Yeah. Even if it's on Netflix. Yeah. That's the, that's the, that's the reality of being an underdog filmmaker. And literally, I mean, there wasn't other than gas and like, I mean, we, we hardly ate. It was like shitty food. If we did eat, um, we, we, you know, we're sleeping on the ground. It wasn't, there was not a lot of, I mean, yeah, there's production that goes into it and money that goes into putting gas in the tanks and and they had the van they had um a driver in the van um i mean it was literally it was a couple people a skeleton yeah, yeah a skeleton and, crew. um and if you look at the movie watch the movie you realize there's no real sound no and that was like i think there was a issue with recording the sound and by the time they got all done with it it was just like oh shit the sound wasn't captured the way it should have been um, cause that's a whole nother guy's job. Yeah. You know, you can't do that as a, like I, 
this, this little rig right here, I have an onboard camera there, uh, audio there, but you know, I use it as a scratch track to usually for another sound guy that I've got working for me. It's a whole nother department. Yeah. You can't do both. Yeah. So, but what did really surprise me was the music, yeah. that soundtrack, like there's, it's, it hits just right. It's so good. It's man. so good. And it's Rocco so good. and like, his music and like, I didn't know of Willie T Taylor, man, those songs are just, they're so deep and you feel them and like what's going on. It almost honestly is too deep for what it was like when i watch the movie it's kind of depressing and it, it's it's a, got a, some darkness to it a ride shouldn't be that yeah. i've never known a ride to be that with my friends it's always uh, we're laughing it doesn't matter the situation yes you're fucking laughing yes. you're bullshitting like it's not serious yeah it's and, a comedy yeah it, it is that's my only problem with the film and before i go to that i will say this that yeah the, the soundtrack i love the juxtaposition of there's kind of like some sadness to it and it's not just CCR the yeah. whole way, you know. And it, but that's the music I listen to, though. All the music I listen to has depth, and me uh, too. It has a darkness to it, so that's why I relate to it. But uh, that's not what a motorcycle ride should be. Um, I, I do feel like it isn't a real fair exposition of what a ride is like because but on your case it kind of was because you guys were in a dark place yeah. a little bit yeah we were so it kind of is accurate i'll tell you i started off the trip um we got to that um god damn it what's middletown middle yeah middletown in uh is that nevada or utah oh middleton it, middle it, middleton with that little tiny it's like 120 miles away from anything yeah and it's it's like a little stagecoach yeah bar that yeah. used to be a stagecoach station and by, so funny you know that place there's so few people who know that oh, place i'd been through there before yeah a few times so i knew it um <clears throat> but we slept on the picnic tables there that night and i had sun poisoning like I didn't know it, but like I started, I laid on top of the picnic table and I'm like, my head just starts spinning. And there's like a, a mentally ill person that like is a family. He works there in he, the coveralls. Yes. Yes. He literally is yeah, that's him. pacing back and forth all night long. And I'm on this picnic table and I have sun poisoning and my whole head is spinning. And all I hear is him grunting and making these crazy fucking sounds. Yeah. And there was a, I remember a cat swatted a <laughs> bat out of the air and there's a bat fluttering around oh under me. God. It was the most surreal experience of my life. And, and I'm sick. Yeah. Like I'm sun sick. And do you mean like heat stroke or what, what, like I had just been in the sun all day where my skin was beet red yeah, and I started vomiting. Okay. Yeah. You got it. Good case. Yeah. Of, I feel like a heat stroke. That was thing. the first night. Like we made it. I feel like it was the first, it was, I mean, obviously it was early in the trip. Cause that's, that's, that's a rough at. start, dude. And I, I wait and I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm just puking all over the place. And, uh, they also had the, like, the burger challenge or something that okay. Gentry did. Like, so, we Oh, were, that's where that happened. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. And, uh, everything to set up that, that those are the things that, you know, aren't in the movie and, and yeah. are, but damn, it was gnarly. It was dark and weird. And that dude 
the noises that were coming out of his body and pacing. He was raking. He was raking the sand. Yeah, that he was raking the parking lot. Yeah, at three in the morning. Yeah, and the moon was shining bright, and he's grump. Oh. So the story I got from the owners, which that place is run by a, a group of women. I don't know if you, yeah. look, but the I think the. Their youngest girl's name is Rose, and then she has, like, a cousin and her mom, and the three of them, I think, have taken the business over. I believe that guy is was uh, someone with a, a mental disability, like a dis- disabled guy that maybe someone abandoned out there, and they took him under their sleeves and kind of, like, let him live there, give him work, and he does... Because he is doing some sort of work. He's yeah, he's doing the around. garbage yeah. and, and like he's always kind of maintaining the property and just moving around. And um, they told me that story about him. And I was like, that's actually really sweet. Yeah. Like that's incredible because he probably would have died. That's the feeling I got from it. Like, yeah. Because you know, those women in there, they were the ones cooking the burgers and, and he's taking out the trash. And So I have a picture of him on the side of where and, the population is, yes where it's scra- it keeps getting scratched out and the population gets lower yeah yeah, lower. yeah yeah he's because he's milling about and he took a real interest in our bikes so they're parked yeah, right he, there yeah and he, he greeted was, us when we rode up like yeah yeah he knows something yeah. about it i'm like there's something under all of that trauma or whatever you're going through but you know these bikes and i could see him like really getting in there and, and the only time he wouldn't be milling about or grumbling was he focusing in on like snake's bike and i was like fuck he knows something so i asked him i was like can i take your picture and you would think he wouldn't kind of respond but dude he stood straight up and he goes like this and i took a <laughs> i took a picture of him right there in front of the porch like like the per- a perfect pose yeah and, and i was like man you as much as we don't think you're with it, you are taking a lot in. I, I was just, it's so funny we're talking about that guy because I don't think that anybody ever would know no. who we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> this is traveling, man. Like, yeah. The world becomes so small. And I've had these conversations so many times recently, just in even relationships that I start to try to develop with even women. Like, it's just, it, all of a sudden it has to become a secret because our worlds are so small yeah, like, yeah. all the way across the planet. But going back to you asking about the film and what I thought, um, one of the more beautiful things that I don't think people know is uh, Kate's role in the film. The writer. Yes. Yeah. Um, and writer. Um, so what people don't know is she just gotten her license like a couple days before that. She She was a writer and um because i had the connection with harley harley supplied a sportster for her to ride cuz she said i'm going to write the narrative to this i want to feel what the rain feels like to hit my face when i'm riding i want to feel what the wind feels i want to know what it's like to have ridden 500 miles in a day and how that fatigue feels wow so it was i was worried when she took off cuz she it was sketch. That's baptism by fire, dude. Her take off. Yeah. And she's never in the film. You don't see her. She was never even around us. She was either way ahead of us or way behind us. She would ride. She rode the roads we rode. She'd 
pull off at an outlook and start writing. So she wrote the thing as we cross the U S that's beautiful. And to be honest and, and Robert Patrick, I love the guy and I've gotten to know him a little bit over the years. Mm -hmm. That's another part of the dark side of the film. Um, I I think it's just too heavy. Yeah. His, his words are, are hit. His voice is so deep and, and serious and heavy. Uh, there was a version when she read, she read the words, the very first version that I saw of it, it was her voice. And did you prefer that? I was drawn to it a lot more. It didn't have that like super, super heavy, um, almost like, I don't know, um, seriousness to it. It was more, maybe it was more playful than serious, but, but it was, it was the same words. Yeah. Um, but it was her, I would have been interested her voice. I would have been interested to hear that version. Yeah. Yeah, Because I think that could have brought a little, and, and Robert Patrick has an incredible voice. He does. And when I was showing Annabella the 21 days, she was like, dude, who's this narrator? And I'm like, that's T1000. (laughs) (laughs) He never says a word in fucking Terminator, but he has the best voice. Can you believe that? Uh, but also that that man is so passionate about motorcycles yes um and it's it's that that's a cool like i think he saw the film he's like i want to be a part of this because he was genuinely in love and and passionate about it i mean he yeah he he's connected to it for sure like it's that's his outside of making films yeah that's his thing in life yeah he owns a dealership now yeah um booze fighter you know um I thought in in my opinion it's hard for us to have I know I once you <laughs> once you see how the sausage is made it's hard to eat it <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean like, <laughs> exactly <it's> that, like, <laughs> that's why I never watched it I've right. watched it twice in my life no I watched it more recently and it it was so heavy cuz you know Troy's passed away I and know. But we're how lucky away. are to, yeah, be to have, have it. it. Yeah. It's so special to come back to. But in any any movie that I work on or, or make, I can barely watch them. Yeah. Especially if I have anything to do with being in it. Yeah. It's like I can't watch that. Yeah. Like I know I know the artifice of it. Like it's it's you can't pull one over on me at this point. But I I think there is a, a realism to seeing the way that Michael treated you, the road treats you that rough, rough sometimes. You guys hit a lot of setbacks, a lot of range, entry spike breaking down. And there's a heaviness to the narrative that isn't, doesn't always happen on a trip. But to some kid in the Midwest who's never taken a trip, doesn't have a chopper, aspires to do that, that is the most important film that he is ever going to watch. Dude, it's it, it's hard for me to wrap my head around that because there are people, and it's be- it's beautiful. I just don't know how to process it. Yeah, I don't ever. I don't. I have a hard time being the center of any attention. Same. I'd rather be heard than seen. Yeah, I and to have people come up to you and say, "Dude, I wake up every day and I put that movie on." Yeah, I'm like, really? Yeah. What? Um. I know it's inspired so many people to either build a chopper or ride across America or just connect with friends and through motorcycles and, or see, um, 
or just get out of their office life. They're like, man, I work in an office, but I made it. I planned three years in advance to do this journey. Yeah. And that's cool to hear. And, but I still don't know how to process that, that energy. Like someone, cause for me, it's hard to, it's hard. Cause what you, do you, knew, say? you knew what it was internally and all the things that were going on and, and, uh, and you know, also what a normal trip with your closest homies yeah. is. Yeah. And, and like, they've all become really close since then to me, you know? Um, but that's what those rides do. You know, it's either, it's either you're going to hate that person for the rest of your life <laughs> yeah. or you're going to love them. They're the closest yeah. guy to you. Yeah. Sometimes both yeah. in the same trip. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I, I think. <clears throat> to keep in mind though is it it really did affect a lot of people and was the first introduction some of them had to the wonderlust that we get to live every day that got my wheels turning because i was writing a book at the exact same time you know and i was like how do you accurately translate something so special and complex to a story with a through line that people can follow. And I think for what you guys went through, and particularly Michael, in the end, having Fox come in and buy it and go going back to Tom's footage and connecting Tom through the narrative, it memorialized a couple people mm -hmm. unintentionally in there because they were still alive. And what may have been an accident looking back now is... It's so special to see him in that footage. It will live forever. Yeah. And that, that's not nothing, man. Yeah. That's important. And talking about Tom's life, like he had his heyday early on, but there was a whole dark era of him. Like he, you know, he just disappeared into, uh, into his, his life, like, you know, he was really respected early on. And then as time went on, the styles changed and he stayed true to what yeah. he was. And that's, it, that scene dissolved in the meantime. Yeah. You know, yeah. it it's not that he left. Everything else left him. Yeah. And then it really, I think it was Jeff Wright. Cause Jeff Wright had, had, uh, the, the bars in Des Moines and the El Forsteros were, going in there and he was always around El Forsteros and then got close with, um, Tom and, uh, and Tom would share his photos with Jeff and Jeff would post them on his blog. So then people were like, well, and that was the early days of the blog and talking about those photos. Uh -huh. And then people were like, started, Oh, Tom Fugel. And Jeff was making sure that like his legacy was bringing back to the forefront. Um, and people then started to catch on to that. And, uh, and, and he had, he had a, 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 um, a renaissance yes. of yeah. Tom Fugel. Yes. And, and the respect that followed just a lot of it from Japan and, and Sweden. And like all of a sudden he had this love coming down on him and he, it was just like he, it, that again, that child, childish kind of energy of excitement and the, the man was in his seventies. It was global. Yeah. And, uh, and then he was flying over to, to Sweden and oh they'd give God. him a bike to ride. I'm going to cry. <laughs> that makes me 
just oh god if, if you can you imagine sticking to something your whole life thinking that you were one of the last ones and then it comes back around and and people and then like going back to saying like i didn't know tom fugel f- inspired me to build my bike the way i did but he did unknowingly and now i look at some of the things i'm like oh well yeah it all makes sense like because i was looking at the david mann paintings well that's tom fugel they were right best there. friends yeah, yeah. That's, that's tom fugel in that painting yeah um yeah it's it, it is a beautiful thing to think about and to see tom and his environment all those years later and he's still the same person uh even though you know clubber one percenter but man like artist artist and and passionate but yeah don't get on his bad side either i've seen him punch out in brooklyn uh punched out a young kid who's getting lippy no some drunk kid and as he's eating a piece of chicken just popped him right in the fucking mouth (laughs) no shit and his brother came running up who who punched my brother uh this old man oh that's amazing (laughs) dude you know what's so incredible about that is like there was a period of time where he you had to help him kick his bike over and he's still punching people out (laughs) yeah well you know what um you're probably talking about Brooklyn. He was trying to get his bike started and it was giving him hell. And he, he had, he had something going on with his foot. He had a, an injury or something. And, uh, his way of dealing with that was he had a family friend that was a veterinarian. <laughs> Good the vet. <laughs> the veterinarian was fixing him up, giving oh him the drugs God. to take care of his foot. I love this. If, if that, that's, if I'm saying that right, I'm pretty sure I am. That sounds yeah. like, sounds like you are. Yes. Uh, and so he was dealing with a foot problem that was cr- like chronic, like wasn't going away. <clears throat> and, uh, that bike, he was having a little, little bit of trouble starting it. And then it just was, yeah. So I think in Brooklyn, um, it was in Brooklyn. Yeah. yeah I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think what Max helped him yeah. get it started, but that's not, that's, that's only because his foot was okay. I mean, he's okay. still yeah. But he punched a guy out on the same trip. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, then being in in uh, Sioux City, just ripping, ripping through the city. Like I, I have one photo of him, and it's out in front of his shop. And I actually, it's the only one time because it was the fo- it was a photo of Tom. He's sitting on his bike. That um, um, uh, what do you call it? It was the purple. Uh, it was the purple the, Evo. The Evo, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Sitting on it, it's in the middle of the street. He's on the hill crest, um, but you know, in that neighborhood, there's power lines and trees and bullshit everywhere. And like, I had like two seconds to get a shot of him because he's like ready to rip out of there. Like, bike started. I snapped the photo and I did set up strobes on it. I think I know the shot you're talking about. Yeah, you're kind of lower yeah. in that. There's like the the. He's on what is like a small hill yeah. and there's just nothing behind him, but the power lines are going on each side. Um, there's no power because I edited it. I had a, a shot of a sunset. Okay. Maybe I'm this imagining. is the only time I've ever done this because yeah. I just didn't like the background of that yeah. shot. And so you cleaned was, it up. There was that horizon line of the, the street. Yeah. It was on the hill. Um, and it was like, per- the sky was like purple. Yeah. So kind of matched the, and I, I just had to clean that photo up, but I remember like he was not going to wait around 
for any bullshit or like me to take a photo of him. Right. You know, like I just wanted one great photo of him, you yeah. know, like set up and Jenny hopped on the back of the bike. He popped it into gear. I was like, Oh shit. Like I threw the stands and shit, like the, <laughs> the strobe off to the side, hopped on my bike and started and ripped out of there. And then we're just chasing him through, through, uh, Sioux city and, um, end up at his, his strip club, you know? Like, oh my God. Yeah, like it's his, but, Oh, talking about the clubhouse, like he was showing us photos of the original, like what one of, I guess you could say it was the clubhouse that had his heart. It was this. Oh, was it the bank? The bank building. Yeah. Three stories tall. There's photos of him like hanging off the side of it. He literally, he, he fell three stories working on that building and then just hit the ground and popped up. Jesus. Like a fucking cat. Nine lives. Um, when you look at a young Tom Fugel, he's like, he was kind of a handsome dude yeah. and, and like skinny and lean. Like he would be a very popular, I hate to say this term, but like 60s Tom was like a killer hipster today. You know, <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> no, I don't mean, I don't mean it in like a bad way, but, but that's what everybody's going after. Everybody they're like, trying to emulate yeah. what he was back then. Yeah. And but you know, never, then no. There's no way. There's never like that man was through and through so honest and true to himself and original, uh, original, just a hundred percent original. And you think about that time, like, dude, you're going no, against the grain and of everything. What else do you look at? You have magazines and paper, you know, newspaper, like, yeah, you know. So, and like, we're so spoiled. Oh yeah, to have everything thrown at us, like in the screen. It is too much. It's too, it, it, it homogenizes everything. And I, dude, I, I wouldn't get off on that, but I, I grew up in the Midwest pre-internet, pre any kind of like introduction to culture. Well, I was bummed that I had to take a computer class just to do photography. Cause, yes. Cause like digital came in. I had never touched a computer before that. Dude, I didn't have, I didn't even, the reason I quit my, uh, photo degree I changed. Like I started in photo uh, and then they made a transfer where they got, they basically switched to digital in my program and you would all, you, everyone yeah. would lose a semester. And I was like, fuck that. And then I got to be on a computer. And so I ended up getting a bunch of gear from the photo lab that they were going to get rid of. And then I ended up taking painting and, and these other like hands-on tangible things and to this day, I finished, I didn't finish with a degree in photography. It's something called visual concepts, which was like a hodgepodge of fucking everything that I yeah. ended up doing. But I, I didn't want to be in front of a computer. Yeah. And that's all we do now. And even, you know, in the days of then when Instagram came in, I was, <clears throat> and I'm always, um, uh, purist in the way of like Instagram is was supposed to be take a photo taken with your phone and posted immediately. Yeah. That's the way I always used it. And then people, photographers started posting their actual photos to Instagram. Yeah. Like you couldn't do that before. Like it, you literally had, had to, to do take it, on it in phone. the app and post it right then and there. Yeah. And then it kind of started to change. And I was like, fuck that. It's supposed to be in the moment. That was the death of the blog. It was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but there's a whole era, there's a whole year that I lost because I was more concerned about taking the photo with my phone to post it as a chronicle of my 
of my life because people were really tuned into it because people would you're on out. the road you're living yeah it, like you were a vision in for me even before i cut my ties it's funny we switched places because now <laughs> you're the corporate you're yeah. like in the corporate position and i'm getting to like go you know do the stuff but it for me originally Kimasabi and the Lodge was like this window into uh just something outside of a nine to five. Yeah. And that was inspiring. And and I had so many people reach out that they were, man, I, I love my life. I, I won't change it. And I, I work in an office every day. I have a family, but man, like you're able to take me out of that for just a moment. Yeah. If I'm sitting at the desk, I tune in for a second and it gives me that freedom. Even though I know that I can't have that freedom. Thank you. Yeah, that those were special, special uh, messages and, and notes that you would get. Honestly, man, that is, that encapsulates perfectly my whole point with this project. Even talking about 21 days under the sky and kind of the difference in the way we experience trips normally and, and the presentation of those is like, cause I tried for a long time to write like Kate did and do some voiceover narration to explain. Cause I travel and I'd shoot off my bike and take video and, and, and make these little edits. I'm going to stop you right there. I hope that this podcast ends with one of your stories. I called you out on I'll one do it. of them. I'll do it. I was like, Motherfucker, I, I was, I've been planning on it. I, the I whole waited to the end of this podcast, which was so good. But <laughs> when you started doing those little stories, I'm going to do it. Man, it's, they're so good. I, I promise you this one will be the one where I, where I bring it back. Because I've got a lot written and I've had a lot written. I started a second book, which probably will never get published just because publishing in the time when I came out with Too Far Gone till now has taken a terrible dive. Like It's really hard for any publishers in the art world to kind of survive unless you're a celebrity or, or a memoir of, you know, a president or something. Mm-hmm. It's just not happening. But I've I've got over 40,000 words that I've still I'm. I've now created a, a book that I can read them to, you know? Yeah. So I'm going to start, I'm going to start doing that. Absolutely. Again. Keep up with that. Yeah. It's special. But I, I, with, with the videos and the trips, I really, before the entertainment industry comes in without someone like Michael and without someone like you and they try and because it's going to come into the zeitgeist, they're making the bike riders right now with fucking Tom Hardy and all these people, which is going to be awesome. Like I, I'm not complaining about that, but I'm saying I want to show people the difference because I know what most of the time they're going to bring in is like that bad boy, lone biker seriousness, which I just can't really handle anymore. I want to show people the humor and the fun because you're breaking down continually if you don't have like a comedic outlook on this shit you're gonna be bummed so it thins the herd to this group of people who are just laughing on the road the whole time and ready to make the best of any situation and and find the and also take a right turn when you were gonna go left yes yes and and i want to give people a reference point to what it really is before they come in here and try and make it that it's something and it's not. So we've got eight episodes out right now that show what it's like in first person to go on one of these trips. And I'm doing these for the guy who's in the office who won't be able to take a trip, but this is the closest thing 
to the real thing that it'll get to. The bummer I have found <clears throat> in the in when I when we were first getting into it, there was a there was a huge passion, and there was very there was very few people doing it. So the people that were involved, they were just like so passionate and honest. And those those people are still you still go to swap meets and events and they're all still there but yeah. there's been all these people that have come and gone in between. Yeah. And there's there especially younger this younger crowd now I'm the old timer and he's fucking face it man we're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> but they come in with this idea of like what a biker should be and like a lot of times I just find there's just really insecure people that yes. come into a bar. They're the sweetest people. You meet them one-on-one -on -one, walking down the street and they're like, Oh, you know, they're sweet. You meet them in a bar with a couple of their friends and they're, but they cool guy you, they cool guy you. And then, then they're the loudest obnoxious asshole in the bar, just speaking loudly so people can hear yeah, what they're saying. That's an insecurity. I'm like, I want nothing to do with that. And then when you draw back from them, they're like, oh, fucking cool guy. I can't fucking hang out and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, man, I'm just trying to hang out and have a beer. Or just, I don't need to prove, I'm not trying to prove anything. And Don't so, fuck up the vibe, man. Just go with it. I have this, I call him my stepson now. Like okay. I, <laughs> I, uh, I was at a swap meet and this kid, he's, he's, he's an engineer at uh, Milwaukee Tool. He's, he's a, you know, you probably hear this, but he's a you know he's a nerdy little kid, you know. Like, sure, yeah. It, but goddamn, he's he's so in tune. Uh, I guess with himself, he's kind. He's uh, doesn't drink at all. Like he he's just like into what he's into, and he's him. He's himself, and doesn't need to to uh, be a tough guy or anything. So Not he, the stereotype. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So he showed up at the swap meet and I was selling this shitty gas tank. It was a, a sportster tank. And a friend of mine had already said, Hey, I want that tank. I'll, I'll come back around. And then this kid showed up. He's like, Oh man, this, this tank, I really like this tank. Like I, I just got this pan shovel and, uh, I, I'm, I'd like to have this tank on it. And after talking to him for a minute, I was like, you know what? I'll sell you that for, I'll sell it to you for really cheap and sold it to him. And the next week he shows up on this, on this bike it was it was a pile it was like a pan shovel is this like really gnarly frame it was a wishbone frame um but gnarly the neck was all cut up really weird and that tank was on he said mm -hmm. i got it running for the first time he was so oh, excited man, that's awesome and uh i was like hell yeah I, you know and i could feel his his energy he was so excited that he had gotten it running but he had no lights on the bike and it had gotten dark and he just takes off <laughs> and i'm like whoa 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 like hey what the fuck are you doing like he's like oh well the street lights i can see i'm like yeah but they can't see they, you no one can see you and yeah. i i had to scold him you know yeah. and um and then he he takes off and uh i just laughed because i was doing that same shit like i had ridden all the way from chicago back to rockford with no headlight <laughs> And through cornfields and like, I just had to make it home. But yeah. like, uh, and when I got my bike running the, like the, I, I wanted to like hide the voltage regulator. So I bought this stupid Chinese like voltage regulator that was supposed to hide in the end cap of the generator and mm -hmm. it never worked. So my lights never worked. And, uh, I would ride that thing around just cause I got my first bike. I'm going to ride it no matter oh, what. Yeah, that's not going to stop you. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, he found me and wrote me this like really nice note. Like, Hey, I really appreciate that. You told me that I just didn't think about that. And like, 
thank you so much for the advice. And I was like, man, that's, oh, that's, aw- that's so thoughtful. So I was like, hey, you know what? Like, let's go for a ride. I want to take some photographs of you riding this bike that you just got together without lights on it. Yeah. Um, let's just go. Oh, and I, do you and, know how much that meant to dude, him? Dude. And then I invited all the dudes. And I was like, hey, man, we're going for a ride. I'm going to put you in the back. Just stay in the back for a little while. And then when we get to a spot, I'll, I'll have you come up and I'll take some photos of you. And, and like, it just, it, it blew his mind. Like he just oh like, my God. so now it's like, because of, he's not a tough guy. He's not proven to be anything other than what he is. Like he's become like one of my really, really good friends. Uh, and you know, watch out for him. Cause he's young. And like, I was like, dude, and he got hit on that bike really bad. Oh no. Uh, I'd see him all over town, riding all over town. And there's one spot in Milwaukee that everyone gets hit. It's like you're coming out under the bridge, the overpass. There's the um, the market. It's like it's almost like the Seattle public market, but uh, it's yeah. the Milwaukee public market. And I don't know what it is, but you come out under that bridge and people always they make a left on you and turn in front of you. Always the left. Got him. And, uh, you know, he, he was like, oh, I got in this really bad wreck. And I'm like, you look fucking fine. You know, like, uh, you must not have been too bad, you know, but I saw his bike. I'd never seen a, a frame pretzeled so bad. And I was like, look, man, you're, oh, being that he had, he went about everything the right way. It didn't have a title to the bike. Uh. So he went and got a bonded title through the state. The state wanted their tax money. So they were like, well, it's uh, 1948. It's $20,000. So you got to pay the tax on $20,000 to get the title. We'll hold it for a certain amount of time until it clears. Uh, but pay the tax on 20,000. And he's like, Oh, I guess that's what I got to do. You know? So he did that. Well, then got hit. And the insurance company was like, well, we don't know what this thing's worth. It looks like a pile of junk. Yeah. Like, well, the state said it's worth $20,000. Yeah. <laughs> so good for him. So, and he had it insured. He did everything the right way. Too good for him. And then ended up getting like nineteen five plus plus kept the bike. And I was like, don't worry about, don't worry about the bike. It'll build itself back. Like, buy a house, get into a house. That's that your... was so smart, Josh. And he's like, I don't get it, you know. Like, and he literally like the next week he sends me a photo. He's got keys to this house. And uh, so smart, man. And now he's like, I didn't get it before, but now I get it. Everything I work on here, like it, it makes the value of the property go up. And now I have something. And, uh, but I saw that there was pole cam footage of it. Of I mean, the accident. It was, it's insane. Like, I don't know how he's alive. Like woman hits him. He literally is sliding on the top of his head, full <laughs> scorpion hits, <laughs> hits it, bounces his head off the curb and then wraps around a pole his body like fucking Gumby or something. Dude, he's made out of rubber bands. <laughs> so how old is he? He's like 23. Okay. Well, and, uh, but yeah. And now he never welded before. And even some of the dudes that I know, they're like, Oh, what's he fucking trying to do? He's got that. You know, there, I was never been like, everything's got to be original Hartley part. Like Me it's neither. a chopper. Yeah. It's a fucking chopper. Chop it up make it your own. And so he, he had, he bought this frame that was like a original shovel head cradle, but everything around it, it looked like a farm job almost, you mm-hmm. know, but that's what he started with. And he started making it his own. And his goal was to take it to the congregation show, um, 
and like it was coming up on time like dude and he painted it himself he did every bit of work by himself other than like build the motor and the trans uh got it done took it to the show and uh he just sent a he just sent a video of me like he was trying to get it running and like it was midnight before he was supposed to leave i'm like dude you're just gonna push it into this he's like i gotta have it running he let go of that but um but anyway just sent me a video of him riding it the other day bless his heart man what's his name patrick patrick yeah i'm a great kid um but build this bike like welded painted it did all the work himself and uh do your advice about getting the house though is going to set him so far ahead in life yeah and now you know i don't know what's going to happen with the because that was just the insurance money for the bike like to see that video footage she was at fault yeah i'm like all right now your next move is to buy a duplex and collect the rent on that yeah and then just listen to uncle josh kid (laughs) yeah i need to take my own advice just listen to uncle josh (laughs) just do what i say not what i do okay buddy just just listen to me but don't watch me you're gonna be okay you would have met me like five years earlier i'd have been a mess do you think that guys in like the 60s talking about the the like tough guy biker do you think that was a real thing back then too i know they were tougher than we are now and i know the club things were uh, based on doing some you know undesirable shit well i honestly think it started out of just what we've always been doing it's just friendship getting guys together to ride yeah well, then you got people coming back from the war who have seen some shit and they got really nothing left to lose mentally. Yeah. And then over, and then drugs, the drug culture comes in and then it just turns into something way deeper. So in the beginning, it probably wasn't, it wasn't a tough guy. And, and I hear this account from some, some of my club friends who are still alive that saw it originally. And there was a turning point. Yeah. Like you're saying. Yeah, I think it's mostly the drugs. And that's what I talked about within our friend group. Like we had uh, some old timers come in. They're like, dude, there's a lot of cocaine going on around here. You guys better be careful of that. No, we're all just having a good time, man. And then it gets to be more and more. And then all of a sudden, like people are going different directions, you know. And, uh, um, you know, it is – I've I've been blessed to be able to kind of dip my toe in things and it never really grabbed a hold of me. Yeah. You I mean, don't have maybe have an addictive personality necessarily. I think I do. It's some other things that I maybe maybe am addicted to more. Yeah. Yeah, I get uh, it. <laughs> but um but I've for me it's always been like I don't want to f- I have things that I want to accomplish every day and if like I can't accomplish those things on account of these other things then then that's i've been there i definitely i also what i learned was i did drink a lot of whiskey and i i did a lot of i I had a lot of things running through my body (laughs) in a certain period of my life but everywhere i went was a new place it was new people it was a good time it was always I've always said drugs and alcohol are only for the good times. And that's the way I've always yeah. used Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, and the way I was living my life everywhere 
I went was fresh and new. It was new people. It was a, it was a party. It was a good time. Um, when I slowed down and bought that place in Milwaukee, I started hanging out at the bars and I was like at bar close every night, but I learned really quickly. It's the same fucking miserable people sitting in the same bar stool talking the same shit. It's a trap. And it just immediately, I just like slowed down. I just stopped. I literally stopped drinking. I never said that consciously. I never completely stopped drinking alcohol, but, um, it's like, wow, these people are not accomplishing anything. At least when I was doing it, I was having beautiful experiences with magical in magical places with beautiful people. And, um, it just didn't seem ugly or detrimental to my life. Um, but then when I sat in one spot and it was the same thing over and over again, I'm like, I don't have time for that. That's a very, that's a, like that observation is a very, like you have a self-awareness that I think some people don't have until it's too late. Most people don't know that They, they, most people, in America, especially it's like they have their rhythm. They, they have a, they have a job that they go to every single day. And also riding a motorcycle. The only way I knew riding a motorcycle was like, okay, I'm put my tools down at sunset and ride into the sunset. Or I'm just on this journey on my motorcycle. I'm exploring. Never did I have a job that I had to go to every day. And there's when I got that because you were aware of the traps of that, though. Exactly. So, yeah, the only riding that people were doing when I took the job, like they would ride to work every single day. It's rain or shine, snow, riding in the snow. You know, it's like it's like five below zero and they're riding. But that's all they got. Yeah. But I didn't never knew a motorcycle that way. Yeah. A motorcycle is is for freedom, not a trap. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, not, I'm never trying to prove anything I got nothing to prove. And sometimes it just feels like these dudes are like doing it as something to like, why it's competitive. Yeah. Yeah. Like, totally. I rode my bike to work today. It's sitting out front so everybody could see it. Yeah. Like, I'm just not like that. Totally. Like, yeah. I, yeah. I've ridden through it all, but it was on a journey and it was like through rain and snow and fucking cold and um, cause you were trying to get somewhere. Yeah. Or, or experience something new and fresh. Yeah. I mean, I would, I did have an FXRT a long time ago. Um, it's funny cause my dad always was into FXRTs and I was like, those things are so fucking stupid looking. Like I didn't understand it. And, uh, and I, all I had was my chopper and I'd just ride it everywhere. I was put, cause I lived, I lived in in the country. And like, if I was going to go into Chicago, it's a hundred miles, two miles round trip. And, and just to get anywhere to see any, anybody, it was, it was like, I was like a hundred miles a day, you know, that's a long, a, yeah. On a chop, like it's out here. It yeah. It'd be like out here, like yeah. just to go see someone up the road. It's easy. It's a lot easier than being in the city. Cause, but you put, you put a uh, miles add up fast. Yeah. And yeah. that's what makes a bike solid. Yeah. When you're putting on miles, like you, you, and you were talking about it earlier. Like I've seen people, they build amazing bikes, well-built bikes, but they're always tinkering with something. They're like, ah, oh, no, man, like I gotta, I gotta make sure that bolt is tight or I gotta make this a little adjustment. Cause I feel like it's a little bit off. And all of a sudden 
that bolt's rolling down the road because they broke the Loctite or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. They fucked with it, and it never runs right. Even yeah. though they built a really solid bike, they can't just leave it alone. Those are the, the It's the experience that builds the bike, man. It's not necessarily your fabrication skills. You fabricate a beautiful bike, but unless you hit that, like, 2,000-mile mark on a trip, some of those problems won't even present themselves. Yeah. And then when you got to fix it, that's a whole nother thing. Well, I've gotten really good just through experience of watching things break on other people's bikes and mine. Yeah. But mostly being on trips with 20 dudes and just watching the little things that pop up, there's reoccurring things. It's like, oh, you're, you're sissy. Like I'll walk into a shop and I I don't want to be a dick or anything, but like, Somebody will be making a sissy bar. I'm like, oh, it's going to break right there. Yeah, flat steel. Yeah, Hand they're, back, they're back, like, you're going to break it. They're like, fuck you, you know? <laughs> and then they get it chromed, and then sure enough, like, it breaks right there. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I fucking asshole, I should have listened to you. But it's just like things you see from experience. Only happens when you do the miles. And or... then just being able to, like, hear something, like, um, actually just getting getting Patrick's bike started for the first time he just thought like, Oh, I'm just going to kick it and it's going to start up. I'm like, dude, (laughs) slow down. Like, it's just not going to be that easy. It might, but like, just don't, don't get too excited. And it would start. And I was like, and the way it was acting, I was like, it's in your carburetor, slow down, take, and he bought a brand new S and S carburetor, which no, actually he said it came from the, like a return or something, or it was like an open box deal. Mm Mm-hmm. But one of the springs for the accelerator pump or the check ball or whatever was in backwards or something. It ended up. But I was like, okay. But most people, they're like, oh, it's the time. Everyone goes to the timing. I don't understand this. Everyone is like, oh, the, it's the timing. The time, Like, how did the fucking timing move? Yeah. Well, if you ever had your timing set, <laughs> yeah. your timing is set. Yeah. You know? And every time. People yeah. Like, oh, they start fucking with, like, adjusting the mag position or, like, it, it just I don't understand that but you learn from those things it's like okay start with the simplest thing and it's like check your points check your points gap or clean your point yeah. like oh it was as easy as swiping a dollar bill across those yeah. points and like now it runs great dude I had a, a fucking fiasco in my garage the other night when I was putting my XT back together because I thought I had a catastrophic uh, clutch blowout I was riding back here right before I had to take a trip and I was like, I just want to get a nice little hot lap in around the neighborhood. And I'm at the most inconvenient place and just pop. Rock, 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 and I'm like, fuck. And I push it through the sand all the way back to my house. And it's fucking with my mind. And I'm like, I got to see what's under there, right? So I, I take it apart and I find that only thing that happened was the clutch hub nut backed off. The And those little clutch packs are like sealed up. They're mm-hmm. real clever design, right? And I'm like, I'm checking my time for my flight. I'm like, I think I can take this off. And like, so I take it out unbeknownst to me. Like I pull the timing gear out at the same time. Right. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh no, I can just slide it right back in. It's like, Mm -hmm. I see the two mark. 
Somehow in the process of taking it out, I flipped it 180 degrees. So when I threw it back together, I'm kicking and kicking and kicking. But I'm like you. I'm like, it's impossible that the timing slipped. Yeah. I didn't do it. Well, I mean, what? that's a whole different world of motorcycle to me. Like, yeah. you wouldn't pull a clutch hub out and it would fuck up your timing on a Harley. So. No, no, you wouldn't. Yeah. And that's the that's the beautiful thing about, about Harleys. And, and even with that XT, I'm like, I'm looking in there, I'm like, this is really clever how they got all this shit in here. This is kind of royal pain in the ass compared to what I'm used to. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, timing got me. Fucking <laughs> got me. That was about it. People oh, always go to the, hour. the most difficult solution first. Yeah, they're catastrophic. I've people take head, complete their head off their bike. Done that. And it was like a push rod adjustment or Done that. some stupid shit like that. Yeah. And I've done that like in the most inconvenient places on the side of the road. Where I'm like, well, I got this much time before dark. I'm going to know. And exactly to what you're saying, it, it was just like, you know, a push rod bent or yeah. something. And I didn't even slide the tubes down. So I was like, got to be in the heads and yeah. the valve. I got to see. <laughs> yeah, you only you you do that once and then you're like, all right. Or or by riding with other people, you watch somebody else do it. You're like, yeah, I'm not gonna go that route again. Have you ever had like a a pretty bad setback though that was like a couple layers to the onion there that you weren't expecting? Um, well, my pan shovel. Um, I really can't think of too many things with the iron head other than other than I blew up second gear on my iron head and it it tried that gear went out, tried to go out the back of the case. Oh, and those, I guess, um, with those gears, like it's what second and fourth or second. Anyway, if you look at the gear, they've, there's like four little holes and it's the way they're casted. Um, but if you get an Andrews gear, it's all solid. So the, they tend and that you could see right where it blew apart was right where all those, those holes connected like those the four dots interesting um so if you're building an iron head and putting tranny gears in go go andrews dude i may pull the trap door on that out there and look at that then yeah that's a good call anyway but i wrote it forever before that happened but i was like man i was i had a wild night before i literally had i had two girls on the back of my bike going (laughs) over the hone bridge at bar close leaving brady street which is like the fucking i don't even i don't even hang out down there but like, and that my friend should be a <laughs> david man painting <laughs> all and it was a joke like uh i had my girlfriend and her friend and uh so it was a it was a king queen queen yeah and i was you know i had those rabbit i was like had those rabbit ear bars like in my belly <laughs> But I just, they were like taking photos and I just threw it in the gear and took off and ended up going all the way down Lake and over the Hone Bridge to Bayview. Oh my God. And, uh, next morning all hung over and, uh, going, going through Bay. I was sitting at a light, light turns, hit second gear and boom. It just, it like, it was like an explosion happened. Yeah. And, and you knew. And I knew and there's oil coming out of the, out of the back of it. And, but, um, the one, you know, I look at all the problems that people have with their big twins, like the main shaft and the trans always leaking, you oh. know, it's like always leaking. 
uh, there's oh like or the kicker gear is always blown up or uh, I mean Ironheads obviously have a million problems too but there's things that arise that I see that my my friends are dealing with with big twins that I just never even think about yeah um, but when I had my pan shovel uh, talking about bent push rod I it started running really funny and then um, I was down in I was down south of Indianapolis, I think. Anyway, bent push rod. My push rod is bent. I was like, what the fuck's going on there? And, uh, well, I'll be, I guess if your push rod's bent, then something hung up. Like mm-hmm. the valve hung up or whatever. So Usually not a good sign. Yeah. Um, I got it home, took the head off, and, um, and I was, like, looking in there. And I was like, well, everything seems to be good. I, I, um, I honed the 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 valve guide and uh everything seemed to be good and then a little while later it it happened again and uh and i had a problem with head gaskets too always blowing out um but anyway uh then i had a catastrophic failure like the valve the piston hit the valve and so as i was taking it apart i realized that the the uh the valve seat was it was like pressed in there but if it would of occasionally pop out of the oh it and w- it would just travel with the valve yeah and oh. and it must have caught and let it would cut keep the valve hang the valve open once yeah in a while. and bend your push rod yeah because i would i got in there with a pick i sand, would sandblast the head pick around that that valve seat and and it was like it seems fine, and then and then if you hit it just the right way, it would just fall out. It was it was kind of crazy. So what kind of uh, seals were you running? Do you know uh, valve guide seals? Yeah, I don't know that I was even running valve guide seals. See that? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, old timers, they don't. don't yeah, that was back in leaded gasoline days. They yeah. didn't. They didn't need them. Maybe that was like I rode that pan shovel through like 2010, and that was it. Um, and then it's just been all Ironhead. Uh, I mean, I had the Ironhead in there too, but, but after that experience, like, and, and then also knowing your bike, um, that bike ripped for some reason, everyone's like, why the fuck is that thing so fast? I'd always gear them really tall, but mm-hmm. still it would do wheelies. It was kind of That's crazy. impressive. Yeah. If you can get both out of it. Yeah. What kind of cam were you running? Uh, you know, I took it apart. It was an H cam. So a hydraulic H cam, um, it I Just thought totally it was standard camp built up, but, um, I've had it rebuilt. I haven't put the bike back together, but, um, <laughs> it was it. standard, standard bore. Uh, I just had like a really tall, I had a, a 20, tw- what? 26. 20, oh tallest, yeah. Tallest that you could put on a transmission. Um, did you have to file down your ratchet lid or not at all? I don't remember if I Cause did. sometimes they fit. Yeah. It's the damnedest this one, thing. I think fit. Um, but I also, I was going, I was cruising down the road one day and I saw my, my engine pulley just past me oh. and I was like, what, what was, oh shit, that's my engine pulley. And I could never find it. Like I was looking for it. Taper shaft. Uh, yeah. Taper yeah, shaft. Yeah. Um, so then I ended up finding my friend had another pulley and it was like the same tooth size, but it was, I think it was a little bigger. So that 
also gave me more on on the top end. So that was like a, a a circumstantial thing that yeah. made that bike. And run that the way thing that would did. run like a hundred miles an hour all day long, and everybody's like, "What the?" Fu-? And my Ironhead's like that too. And you didn't have to change the belt size at all either when you went up that too. Uh, I think the transmission was pushed all the way up. Oh, so you the had frame. some? Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, but man, that thing just ran like everyone was like, "What's up with that thing?" Because I, it was like a uh, just an old, you know, an old chopper that probably had thirty different tanks on it in his life. Like the frame just had it was like Swiss cheese. And, yeah, still a seventy-four inch and yeah, just flying like that. But man, that thing ran so good. Um, until one day, I just felt this little vibration. I didn't know what it was. I was like, something feels off. I was like, and everyone's like, dude, just keep riding it. It's just it's it's nothing. And I was like, no, I can't keep riding. I just don't feel right. And I, I didn't even, I just took the jug. I don't know why I just, because I was having problems with that head, I think. And a friend up in St. Paul actually just gave me, he machined a new, he just gave me a new head. Cause I think I was stuck up there. Um, I just took the whole cylinder off at the base, just slid it off the piston right there. Looking at me, it was just a crack through my rod. It was cracked. Oh shit. And then and you could feel that somehow that's amazing and then when i split the cases i you could see um the rod on the forked one or maybe it was the the one that's not forked had a crack running all the way around the bottom of that of that rod you saved that bike dude. <laughs> it would have detonated you'd have thrown a rod through who through knows case, where yeah, yeah. That's, so that's just being in tune with your machine. Like that's, that's incredible. It's super important. Was it just a, I mean, was it a big crack? Like enough that you would think it would make a vibration or something you could only see and, but you knew. I mean, it was visible right there. It like took two seconds, just like pop those four bolts off the, the base of the cylinder and pull that off. And Far fucking out. It was right there. Yeah. That's, it's funny because it's the, I mean, it's a good and a bad thing. Like, you did it there. You nailed it. But sometimes my mind will just go crazy with, like, what was that? Yeah. And um, you have to know. You have to know when you're just making it up. And it can it can unravel you sometimes. Yeah, that's, like, the panhead thing. And even ironheads are loud. Like, yeah. sometimes I'll get on a different bike, and I'll get back on mine, and I'll be like, man, something's, something's like, making a ton of noise in the top end. Or you wear a different helmet yeah. or something, and you're like, something's up, and you're like, Oh yeah, I just I don't have a helmet on. Yeah, I'm actually hearing my bike. Yeah, well that's that happens to me a lot because I'll be wearing a helmet somewhere else and I'll go back home. We don't have helmet law. And yeah, then, and then it'll be like, fuck, it's fucking loud. I know. <laughs> I ride between here and Pappy sometimes without my helmet because I it's yeah. like there's times I never see cars, but it's bonkers how different your bike sounds in that scenario. And you know, there's times I'll pull over and I'll just like rev the motor with no wind to see and i'm like i guess it sounds like it does when i idle i fuck with your head (laughs) well man what do you what what else should i feel like we covered a lot of good shit well i do have to take a piss again good let's take let's take a piss think about it um cap it off yeah and i also where do you want to go eat you hungry Take me to your spot. All right, we'll go. We'll go find some breakfast somewhere. Then, um, yeah, I guess this was this was a solid interview. 
I just trying to think if we missed anything before. How much time went by? I have no concept. We've been of time talking right for now. about three hours. Oh no shit! Mm-hmm. Damn. All right. Which is why my battery is blinking like it's going to die any second. Look, it does. It doesn't even have a bar on it <laughs> left. Well, I was supposed to party last night, and and I warned, I warned uh, Bobby. Uh, I was like, hey, I'm going over to, I'm going over to Todd's. And if you know Todd, you know how that goes. Like you get in a yeah. conversation and <laughs> yeah. it just feels good and you just roll and all of a sudden like hours have gone by. So we talked about six hours last night, three hours <laughs> this morning. <laughs> and I missed the party. But um, but then I got that text that because what? It's in the desert. It's in the wash. Whatever. No one has reception. So no. 5 a.m. I get the text like, oh, yeah, I just got saw your text. I and I'm like, thank God. I didn't Can't go do to that. that. <laughs> nope. No more. You dodged a bullet, my friend. But hey, thank you, Josh. Like I've been waiting for this interview for a long time. Yeah, man. Uh, like I said, I coming into this, never nervous about these kind of things, but I have a huge respect for, for your podcast. And I was like, I don't want it. You know, I don't know. It's like, oh, well, thanks so much, man. I, I feel like we talked about some of the things like the movie and, and honestly, I haven't talked about that movie to like it just never has been something i've talked about with anybody i guess and shit that was i mean we did it in 2013 the movie came out in 16 it's been been forever it has um almost 10 years ago never really talked about that um i think it needed to be spoken about because it was it's been so influential to people that i know and then to others that kind of like write it off as like you were saying a big production but when you know how it was made and what you guys went through i think that story needs to be told a little bit yeah because it it was a very real trip yeah yeah Yeah. but like you said when you're too close to something you're like yeah you know but then people see it a different way yeah and it's 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 always for them you're making these things for them and when i make an episode uh I do I I do it for my friends, you know, because we're we're living this out right now and I look at the example that Tom set with the what the pictures that he took, the videos that he took and I'm like somebody needs to do that now with the story being told through their voice before it's too late. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you got Troy and Tom and you guys on that same thing because t- when I go back and see Troy reading and and speaking his truly his thoughts i'm like this is so fucking special you know what really killed me after he passed away that little video that came out him speaking about um um what did he say it was uh you can only take your experiences with you you can't yeah yeah like that 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 little line just hit so hard he lived by that man. yeah and I was so happy that he got to have the arc that he did because the Troy I knew in Seattle was even darker. Yeah. Than... You know, that's when I met him. You yeah. Know, like, yeah. So, uh, it was kind of a little, a little hard at first, but, and then there were some other things involved with other friends outside of us, like, or, uh, that, you know, but over time, like get to know him and, and he got into a good place. Yeah. Like, he really he had a great arc even though he had a short life and he fucking reached a lot of people yeah yeah well fucking let's go get some food man this was a great talk 
Appreciate Pleasure. it. Yeah. All right. Bye, everybody. All right. I hope that was. Oh, I hope that was as good for you as it was for me. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like I said, I've been waiting a long time for that interview. That was really special, Josh. Thank you so much, man. I I want to. I got to get you down here. We got to do a trip, a real desert trip, where we take all the roads that don't have any gas, and we we just see what trouble we get in. We got to get your bike out here, and we got to get out in the sun, and and just you know pound some pavement, man. So keep that in mind. Let me know when you can do it, and we'll just get out there. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And um, as I promised in the episode to you, Josh, and to everyone else, let's do a story, okay? Let's, let's sink in now. Let's change gears, everybody, to hear a little tale from the road. This happened years ago, and it's fun to revisit. I'm glad I wrote it down. This one's for you, Josh. On May 24th of 2017, my best friend Snake and I, along with our good friend Jared, were traveling east to see Snake's mom in Park City, Utah. We got separated somewhere near Williams, Arizona, after Snake's rear tire blew out. Jared and I pulled over at a gas station along Route 66 to fill up and consider our options. And this is where I found Lord. Or rather, he found me. He was not small, not huge either, but I remember looking up just slightly to meet his eye line, of which any details were concealed behind dark sunglasses, and I wondered about his vision. But even though I could not see the color of his eyes, I could tell he had a patient stare and his face expressed understanding. His hair was long and white, and his beard the same. He wore a tattered orange t-shirt that exposed the tattoos on his forearms. His movements were slow and deliberate, but there was an undercurrent of excitement in his posture. Because of its age, it's common for my bike to attract a crowd. People gather to take pictures, usually with no understanding of the machine, They simply identify it as old. But when Lord approached my bike, I could see in him a deep comprehension, not only for the machine, but also for the unexplainable government that it represents. Lord and I shared a quiet moment. I did not want to speak because the silence between us felt like his form of approval. I watched his eyes pour over every detail and decision I had made while building the motorcycle. I could tell he was pleased by it, and though he had not yet spoken, I understood that the shape of this machine was the hallmark of his life, and he knew it was the same for mine. When he finally spoke, his voice was unexpectedly quiet and kind and had a slight southern draw. The look of a man is easy to misinterpret, but his voice is not. He very thoughtfully said, I'm glad you left the sidecar loops. Now the attention given to this detail indicated his understanding of the culture. You see, in the 60s, 
when chopping, reshaping, and molding these bikes became popular, it was common to remove the sidecar loops, originally engineered to couple a sidecar to the machine. I told him they had been cut off, but I put them back on. I call it Hey Duke, I said. George Washington Hey Duke. He smiled and introduced himself as Lord, Lord P.M. Christ. And he asked if I wanted to see his bike. I nodded and followed him across the parking lot. As he walked, he told me he had been doing this his entire life, and the bike he showed me proved it. Parked at the side of the lot between an RV and a merchant tent selling patches and flags was the bike Lord had been riding since 1970. It was an early cone-nosed shovel, and he called it Lucille, short for loose transmission seal. It was not flashy or boastful, it was well thought out, and like Lord, showed evidence of its mileage. He told me he had worn out five bottom ends, six sets of cylinders, and three sets of heads. With 101 cubic inches of displacement and five inches of stroke, Lord had designed this machine for the road, to pull a trailer or sidecar up a mountain. He was the mechanic and machinist, though he claimed only for this bike and none other. He had originally found Lucille at a dealership in Jacksonville, Florida. And this is where the story becomes unforgettable. He told me that the bike was a gift, bought and paid for by Janice Joplin, who he worked for as a driver and escort at the time. Her name, he said, was still on the original paperwork. They were close friends. So close, in fact, the evidence of this can be heard in the song Mercedes-Benz. Lord told me that they were in the studio in New York working on the Pearl album after Janice had bought him the bike. Her and Bobby Newerth were tossing around some lyrics while Lord was in the corner rolling a joint. Janice looked over at Lord and started singing. Oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz? Now, the gravity of this trivia took a moment to sink in because I had just been T-boned by the best folklore I'd ever heard. And this was Lord. And coincidentally, this Harley Davidson shovelhead was the inside joke between them that inspired the song. I rarely find myself at a loss for words, but even more rarely do I hear a story like this one. I felt the onset of a thousand questions, but didn't know where to start. It was at this point that Jared, who had not heard Lord's story, was becoming irrationally anxious to find Snake before his shitty clutch bearing finally blew out, which is a very common problem with the Evo Sportster. I was frustrated with the circumstances tearing me away from this character, and I did not want to leave without hearing more of this story. But we had to say goodbye. And when I asked, how could I reach you again, Lord said, I'll just see you down the road. I told him I understood. I asked to take his picture with Lucille, and he stood beside his bike proudly. Lord smiled when I kicked my bike. We shook hands, and Jared and I rode off to find Snake. This was my only encounter with Lord and Lucille. But in our short crossing, he had given me one of the best road stories I had ever heard. And though I did not know it at the time, the purpose for this book 
So there you go. I don't know if I'll ever get another book deal, but there's the intro to the next one I wanted to write. And just a little hint, I'm trying to honor our arrangement of seeing each other down the road. I Believe it or not, a few of you have bumped into him and offered to connect me. Thank you, but I'll find him. And when I do, we'll have a lot to catch up on. So, everybody out there, travel safe. And I'll see you down the road.